0: Welcome to Plastic Model Mojo, a podcast dedicated to scale modeling, as well as the news and events around the hobby. Let's join Mike and Kentucky Dave as they strive to be informative, entertaining, and help you keep your modeling mojo alive.
1: Dave, we're at episode eighty-eight, my friend. I know, I know. Big one hundred's closing in. Good grief! Twelve to go. We'll be, we'll yep. be there.
2: Absolutely
1: hard to believe.
2: Yep. And man, we have hit the str- the the stride of the quote unquote modeling season. Man,
1: we're in it. Some of, one of us more than the other, but uh, <laughs> we're in it. Hopefully, May will it- rectify that. But we'll talk about that a little more later. Yeah, that's right. What is up in your model sphere, Dave?
2: Drugs. Drugs are <laughs> up in my model sphere. Uh, let's okay. let how this is going. <laughs> let, me cl- let me clarify that, lest any of the listeners think something weirder than normal is going along. Uh, as everybody knows, I've got an essential tremor. As everybody knows, it's gotten worse in the last couple of the years. Uh, one of the reasons I have modeling fluid at the bench is that uh the alcohol actually kills off the tremor and allows me to continue to model uh however that's that's not a permanent (laughs) solution not
1: not not when it takes two plus beers to to
2: get you there exactly because then then you
1: cross then you then you cross another line that keeps you from modeling (laughs) yes absolutely well, tell us what's up about that.
2: Well, so I uh, hadn't seen my doctor since prior to the pandemic, so way past time to go in and get the full full check, uh, got the full Whoosh. check, <laughs> and uh, yeah, and everything's good, healthy. I'm healthier than I have any right to be given given the lifestyle I lead.
1: Woo, using a whole fist there, Doc.
2: Yeah, really. (laughs) I like Fletch, too. (laughs) Um, Sorry, man. Go ahead. That's all right. So one of the things I discussed with the doctor is the next step in uh, dealing with these tremors is their low-dose anti-seizure medication. And so... I'd experimented with, the, with an anti-seizure medication about 30, 35 years ago when my tremors were much, much, much less worse. Um, but I decided now's the time and I've at least got to experiment with it. So the doctor uh, prescribed me, I think it's called Premadone. And as he describes it to me that when it hits your bloodstream, It's actually phenobarbital, which some of you all may recognize as the chemical name for truth serum. One of them, yeah. One of them. And I take it at night. I've only taken it twice now. The first day, it, it did have a side effect of feeling like I was a little foggy until early afternoon. Second day, much, much less in the way of side effects. It is so far pretty darn effective. It doesn't completely eliminate the tremors, but takes them down to the point where I will have no no trouble doing the detail work I need. So the, the drug experiments go forward in my modeling
1: sphere. Well, I told you earlier in the week, maybe possibly your best
2: modeling is ahead of you and eh, maybe we'll see. I you know, I'm I hope so. I you and me both. Well, yeah, you bet- and me both too, yeah. No no matter what, my best modeling's ahead of me cuz I'm having a hell of a fun time. These last <laughs> well, four that's true. these last four <laughs> years have been just fantastic and you know, uh, I like modeling. I, I want my models to look better, I want to get better, et cetera, et cetera. But the real joy is the modeling and all the people. But yes, the so far the the effects I'm seeing so far give me some hope that I'll be able to maintain modeling, you know, effective modeling modeling that I enjoy out farther into the future.
1: Well, one thing I, I will say that, well, two things. One, it's noble view to to discuss this in this kind of public forum. That's kind I don't of cool. Hold, I don't hold back. I know you don't, but on the vein of not holding back, you know, uh, myself and the other club members, along with you, have. have We've grown along with your condition as the years have gone by. And, you know, we we make jokes and it may sound cruel to some people, but, you know, uh, we're all in this together and we hope the best for you, man.
2: Yeah. Now, I want to see with your model sphere, I want to see you top drugs. I cannot top drugs. Damn. Uh,
1: Well, you know, you know, in the corporate buzz lingo, you know, you got your work-life balance. Yes. Well, of late, I've been struggling with the model, the model hobby life balance.
2: Uh oh, is this due to spring breaking out?
1: Uh, no, not yet. Okay, uh, I got a wife that likes to put off the, the first cut of the lawn until, all the all the wee little bugs have come back to life and uh, started flying around. So, <laughs> uh, I've cut the grass one time, and one time only. But but that's not it. it it's it's uh it's more. A son struggling with a particular class in school, and uh, the wife and I both being kind of math-oriented. So now I've given it away. It's, it's a math class. Sure. Uh, spend a lot of time helping him along. And then, uh, like tonight, the expansion tank on my Volvo's coolant system gave up the ghost.
2: How so old was that tank?
1: It was OEM tank. I can only assume by the condition it was in, the darkening of the plastic, that it was an original installation. My car's a '99.
2: You know what? So, you got to uh, give the Volvo guys credit if you can get 24 years out of out of your. I assume this was the radiator expansion tank.
1: Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, and I'd been meaning to change it for a while because it's been leaking a little bit. So I bought an OEM replacement part. It's been sitting in my spare's cabinet for a while in the garage and, and and finally last 2 days it's been like putting some big spots on the pavement. I'm like, oh, I better change it." So I changed it. It was an easy job. It took me maybe an hour to to do it all and refill it and but it's just stuff like that, Dave.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Now Yeah, I- yeah
1: the, the the expansion tank in that car is older than most of my coworkers. <laughs>
2: <laughs> that's a good way to look at it.
1: I guess so. So it's uh, that's done. But but you know, back to the the uh, the model sphere. Despite all the stuff going on, I've been pretty good about coming down to the shop at you know post nine p.m. Yep. and knocking out an hour, almost two. Sometimes you, we've been there. You've been there with me. We've been talking yep. and chatting via either video or on on the phone. And uh, I've gotten a lot done. But we'll talk about that later. So hobby life balance.
2: It's important. That would be a good subject. Maybe maybe some listeners have some thoughts on uh, when their hobby-life balance swings back and forth. We'd love to hear from you. Yeah, and, and, and what
1: happened when it swung too far in the wrong direction?
2: <laughs>
1: I'd like to know about that. That's some good information for people who are maybe swinging in the
2: wrong direction. Absolutely. Uh, Mike, I'm assuming you have a modeling fluid in hand.
1: I do, and I hear yours. Maybe folks can hear mine right a little bit too. I'm in a little different glass tonight, so maybe not not so loud. Uh, I think it's official, Dave. Yep, Russell's reserve tenure is is pretty much displaced. Bullet <laughs> bu- bullet bullet orange label is my stable, stable. Your um, timing is excellent, and I'll tell you uh, why later. Yeah, we'll we'll talk about that later. I know what you're referring to, but uh, <laughs> uh, sorry, folks, nothing new. No no big adventure, nothing for you to wonder if you need to run out and go try, unless you haven't tried Russell's reserve 10 year, I would recommend that you do so. And Dave, what are you drinking?
2: Well, I'm drinking, not a bourbon, a whiskey. Now the difference is a bourbon has to be 51% corn mash and has to be aged in charred white Oak barrels, new charred new charred white Oak barrels. Now, uh, uh, whiskey does not have that requirement. The mash can be any number of grains, and it does not have to be aged in white charred white oak. Uh, it can be aged any number of ways. Ian Fraser from Hamilton, when we went up to uh, Heritage Con, was kind enough to bring us a bottle of Forty Creek. Canadian whiskey it's 80 proof 40 percent alcohol by volume and uh I can tell you from sipping it it's it's light it's lighter than most bourbons as far as uh the body but it has a really great taste and uh when we get to the end of the segment I'm sure I'm gonna be pretty darn happy with this one way or the other (laughs) one way or the other (laughs) probably both ways
1: that's that's right well dave the mailbag is uh always got something in it
2: yes it does
1: and i think it's time we just uh slide right on into listener mail you got it well first up dave is uh one of our longtime friends uh john vickis out in salt lake city utah
2: yes one of the septemberists
1: one of the Septemberists, And John really liked episode 86 with uh, Ed Barrett.
2: And you know what? That does not surprise me at all. John's background, by the way, for those who don't know, John is a psychiatrist. Psychiatrist or psychologist? Psychiatrist, I believe.
1: Well, he'll correct us.
2: Yeah, he'll correct us, whichever one it was. Uh, So that does not surprise me that he enjoys a discussion of the mental and organizational side of modeling.
1: Well, on that theme, uh, he says he listened to uh, Ed in episode 86 uh, with fascination. Ed's experiences trying to blend his engineering self with his artistic self were illuminating to John and uh, his emphasis, or even perhaps his plea for models to strive for balance. uh, He got a lot out of that. Well, good. Now, Now, John's email is...
2: Did I forward you this? I don't think so. Well, uh, I will. It's lengthy. John, John's emails are always lengthy, and that's <laughs> quite a that is a meant as a compliment.
1: So I'm I'm gonna get to the to the meat of this, and I got to give John credit. This thing's kind of compartmentalized, so I can do that. So good job, John. You're a good writer. Uh, and on the on the topic of balance. John says the tragic aspect of imbalance is when fear of inaccuracy or the dread of getting it wrong in all caps paralyzes the modeling process.
2: Oh yeah, and I I think every modeler can relate to that.
1: I do too. It, it happens to me and sometimes you gotta get to the point where you just cut and run. I think that's yep. kind of where where Ed was in in spirit anyway. Yep. So he thanks us and Ed for for the sage advice and uh he will seek more balance between his artistic impression and his historical accuracy and his modeling and uh he concludes by thinking or stating that uh, he doesn't think he could cut off a wing or, or a tail though
2: <laughs> well you know what i i think that's a special diorama Kate. although you never know john you you may get there at some point up next michael radsky from uh the folks
1: up in indianapolis i just uh, got to see him i know double agent 001 checking in uh, he, he wrote in prior, uh, pre-show yep how many how many dozen patties are we looking looking at this year <laughs> <laughs> uh, so if, if folks don't remember or or, or have tuned in of late uh, and haven't gone through the back catalog yet um dave and i have been attending this show in indy well this would be the fourth fourth year for you i, right. I had to miss unfortunately but
2: Well, this is post-COVID, because I've been to Indy for 25 years. Yes,
1: you have. And I've been several times with the club before this. But But this is
2: since they moved to the new location and everything. Well,
1: inception of Plastic Model Mojo. We went in 2020, and then we didn't go for a year and a half. And then we went, and that's where we are now, right? Yep. Uh, So... Indianapolis has a Caribbean restaurant, a Jamaican restaurant called Patties of Jamaica. And it's a very successful little restaurant. So successful that they're not open on the weekends. <laughs> Imagine that. Yeah. A restaurant successful enough that they're not open on Saturday or Sunday. And they sell these Jamaica meat patties by the dozen frozen. And Dave and I were trying to get them. And... We couldn't because the indie show's on a Saturday. So, Patties of Jamaica's closed on Saturday. Uh, Mr. Radsky uh, stepped up and uh, duly earned his title as Special Agent 001 by taking it upon himself to facilitate our acquisition of dozens of Jamaican meat patties from Patties of Jamaica uh, on a day they are open and delivering them at the Indianapolis show. Yep. So, along with a bag of ice to keep them cold. Exactly. <laughs> and we talk about community a lot. And this is one of those little side side, uh, side notes to the community that uh, make this all worthwhile. So, Mike, thank you for the Jamaica meat patties. I, I got to drive to Louisville to get them. But that, that's better than getting to Indy on Saturday and not yeah. being able to buy them at all.
2: Yeah. If, if, if there are any left by the time make, Mike makes it to my house.
1: Well, and I don't know who <laughs> ate them if there's not. And
2: uh. actually my Michael, I will tell you that, uh, my daughter that night when I got home from Indy, uh, I put one in the air fryer cause my youngest daughter loves those, uh, Jamaican meat patties from patties of Jamaica. And she was so thrilled. So thank you from the bottom of my heart. You were, as always, you go above and beyond doing that for us. And, uh, uh, I can't tell you how much I enjoyed uh, talking with you, and uh, I know you were busy at the show because you were working it, and uh, I I really appreciate it. Well, up next is
1: Preston Culp from uh, near Wichita, Kansas. And uh, in regards to episode 87, which was the last episode, which was the Wheel of Accidental Wisdom with uh, Evan McCallum. Yeah. Uh, and he, he drops... His answers to a couple of these questions, which kind of is an interesting segue to something we've been discussing offline, yep. that uh, in future installments of the Wheel of Accidental Wisdom, we're going to post the th- the topics that the Wheel put out in the dojo, in the Facebook group, and let you folks comment on uh,
2: what your answer might be to some of those things. Absolutely, that's we we want to hear that because I mean my. Evan and I or Mike, Jim and I, depending on who's the guest when we do the wheel, you know, we'll give you our our quick take on what the question is. But some of those things really will develop into a really full discussion. So, you know, we would love to have that kind of input. Preston,
1: thank you for writing in about that. And, and, and again, we're going to we're going to start posting that so folks can have these discussions in the dojo.
2: Mike, that makes a point, if you don't mind me interrupting you, that makes a point. The dojo exists for those kind of, in addition to posting your work and, you know, uh, everybody getting to see what everybody else is working on, which is fun and great. But the dojo is a resource, a community resource, uh, you know, where you can crowdsource questions. Hey, I've never used GX100, what's the thinning ratio that works for you? Any question like that, I want want the dojo to grow to be able – it's a community and it's a modeling community. I want it to grow to be able to be that resource that when you've got a question and you want to crowdsource some knowledge, that that's where you go to post it. So please do stuff like that.
1: Well, he closes by saying he's glad his wife is clueless on how much money he ends up spending after listening to podcasts. Shh,
2: shh, shh. <laughs> That's why my wife still thinks the name of our podcast is on the bench.
1: <laughs> Especially when you all have Dr. Strangebrush as a guest. I think you've bought almost everything he mentions during the interview. Yep. So have Include, I. Including an H&S Evolution, which is yes. uh, working out well for him. So Great. Preston, look for a future post in the dojo regarding uh, which topics we attempt on the Wheel of Accidental Wisdom. And uh, I'm glad you like it. A lot of people like it. It's, it's, it's yeah. a good segment.
2: Speaking of which, guys, if you're listening and you got an idea, a question for the wheel, please send it in. We burned through a bunch of them with Evan, so we're trying to build the wheel back up. So if you've got something that's a question, Particularly one that's uh appropriate for, you know, just a quick hot take. Please send it in.
1: Willie Garcia.
2: All right. I think he's he's in Ireland, right? He's the Which which is which is ironic for a guy with the last name Garcia.
1: Well, it's actually Willie Mayhoff Garcia, so he's got a little <laughs> German going on there too. There, there you go. And he, he explained that. So uh Yeah. Uh, he is uh, appreciative of the input we gave him but to just buy the damn masks for the for the Ukrainian the digital camo.
2: Amen. Amen. He,
1: he ended up getting those from DNN models but he had to buy them from BNA model world out of Australia so that that's gonna work out fine they're a good they're a good seller.
2: Think, yes BNA is great. Think of 15 years ago that transaction would never happen. No a, it ga- a guy in Ireland reaching out to an Australian supplier for a set of masks manufactured in what Poland or Ukraine wherever they, they happen to be manufactured boy this is the golden age of modeling
1: well it's the the democratization of uh, the world with the internet right
2: yep absolutely
1: got to love it yep well while uh Doing some research, he come across a can of worms called the scale effect of color.
2: Oh, my Lord.
1: And uh, he's thinking this would be a good topic. I'm thinking we can cover this in listener mail, at least to some extent. And I'm going to start. Okay. Because I did a little digging around. So he wants to know what are our thoughts on this. And
2: uh, So scale do color. You, do you want to say what? what scale color is in theory, just the yes, overall yes. forty thousand foot view.
1: So scale color in theory is well, it's not a theory, it's fact. Or, yeah. is the, or, or is a theory fact. Right. Based on the premise that uh the further you are from an object, the basically the lighter the color will appear to the original color when viewed at close distance. And this can be, be borne out by the classic example is you paint a 10 foot by 10 foot square of a color on some neutral background. And then you paint with the exact same paint from the exact same pot or can or whatever on a one inch by one inch square. Right. Yep. And you hold that one inch by one inch square out in front of you while you're standing right in front of this 10 foot by 10 foot square of color you painted on this neutral background wall and you start backing up. Yep. Yep. And you back up to the point that, to your eyes, the one-by-one one square of color in your hand is appears to be the same size as the 10-foot-by-10-foot square that's painted on that wall that you're now God knows how far away from. <laughs> right. Now they do not look like the same color. And they do not look like the same color for a couple of reasons. One is atmospheric conditions. You're looking through humidity and dust and whatever. And the other condition is you've got this hemisphere in front of you that all this ambient light is coming into your eyes from. All your direct and peripheral vision, right? Right. Which is messing with that thing you're looking at at 8,000 yards away from you now or whatever it is. Right. So all that is impacting the color in your hand versus that 10 by 10 square you painted on the wall way out in front of you so the scale color theory says that if you're building something in a smaller scale you should paint it a lighter color to account for that viewing distance difference right but that makes an assumption that i don't agree with
2: which is
1: you're not viewing that model at okay, uh, you're viewing a 72nd scale model at one foot should be like the same as viewing a full-size object at 72 feet. Right. Sort of, maybe. That doesn't work out, but that's well, kind well, of we the, know, we this, know what that, That's doing. the spirit of things, right? Right. <laughs>
2: we'll f- we'll fill in the math later. Okay,
1: but you're not comparing that 72nd scale airplane to a, a real item viewed at 72 feet. You're comparing that real object to the model at one foot for both of them. That's yeah. why you're putting in all the cockpit detail. That's why you're detailing the landing gear, putting all the plumbing in the in the in the in the gear wells, putting new machine gun barrels on it. All this stuff you can't see at seventy two feet, right? Um. So, mm, I'm I'm not sure this is I'm in agreement with the, this whole scale color thing on that premise. Now, I I will say. There is something to be done on a scale model versus the real thing to make yes. it a little more realistic.
2: Yeah, and well, to give a- the impression as, of realism.
1: Yes, the, the impression of realism, and if in in fact, the Plastic Posse podcast latest episode features uh, an interview with Alex Clark, and if you haven't listened to this interview and you're concerned about scale color. You should probably listen to it because he touches on it a little bit. I think he touches on it en- enough actually. Um, I don't know if, if one of the interviewers actually asked him about this or something kind of segued into it and he and he started talking about it. I, I don't recall off the top of my head, but um he's not a fan of just adding white and lightening the colors. Right. And, and, he, and he was he was of the, the opinion that it was not the right thing to do, obviously. Right. Uh, what he does instead is he's a more neutral color to desaturate yes. the colors. Because he th- in his opinion, a 72nd scale model, and he's one of the foremost armor modelers in 72nd scale. Yep. Bar none. Yep. Uh, I don't know if he listens to the podcast or not, but if you do, Alex, there you go. That's, that's what, what I see when I see your work. You know, he, he was talking about desaturating these colors to, to make things less toy-like, yeah, to, to make it look more the size it was supposed to be. What about you, Dave? What do you think about this?
2: Well, I and that is, okay, scale color, in theory, they say, you know, depending on X scale, you add X amount of white. That doesn't work. There's no, there is, for many of the reasons Mike just outlined, Just simply using the rote formula, in fact, there, there have been articles in Fine Scale and any number of magazines about this, it just doesn't work. But it certainly is true that as your scale gets smaller, you need to lighten the paint, but... In order to to give a good impression of the model, to to try and create the impression of realism. So as you get as you get smaller and smaller scales, you want to add more of a lighter color. And I think the key is what you mentioned. Instead of using white, a lighter complementary color. Uh and it depends on what color you're painting. A light, you know. Sometimes it calls for a light gray. Sometimes it calls for a light tan. And this is a lot of that color wheel theory, you know, that I, I wish in college. I had the opportunity in college to take color theory courses, and I really wish I had, because I think there is something really good to be learned from those type of classes, particularly in this area where you're adding a lighter complementary color to lighten the color that you're actually painting. So I think my rule of thumb is, yes, if you're painting uh, smaller scale, you need to lighten the paint that you're using, how much you need to lighten it and what you need to lighten it with is an area of wide discussion. And I don't know if it's lightening. It's desaturation. I think that's not,
1: not, not, not necessarily the same
2: thing. Yes. You're, you are correct. You are correct. That's right. Lightening is probably a, a crude description of what you're actually trying to do. Desaturization is probably. A better description, although most people, when looking at it, would think of it as lightning. Yeah, maybe I don't know. So,
1: listeners, what do you think on this one? I, I don't know. I, I don't, I don't, I don't buy. I don't buy the distance argument because I don't think that really is what you're doing when you make a scale model. I don't think you build a seventy-second scale model and to give the impression of viewing the real-life object at some other distance. I think that's not true.
2: Yeah, but at same at the same time it still is true that you're building something and you're trying to give the impression of making it a much larger, making it appear to be a full-size item. So, you know, you I would love we need to find a really good not not necessarily a modeler, although I'd like to find a modeler, somebody who came up through say, art school like Mark Cable did and have a, a deep, in-depth discussion about color, color theory, color wheel, uh, scale, color, all of that stuff, because I think there's a a huge area to be mined in that discussion. Up next is Brandon Jacobs. Uh,
1: Brandon's from uh, Texas, and yep. he's he's Agent 003, I Three. think.
2: Yep. We need to have badges made up. I, we do. Yeah. Or, or license to, to chill. Exactly. License <laughs> to chill. So I like, I like that even better. Uh
1: well, he was uh looking at, at the uh the photos from the the indie show. Mm-hmm. Um he says not even twenty four hours after the show, uh there's a YouTube channel called Throttle Power. Yep. Yeah. That uh did a great job with the photo essay and plugging the show. Yeah. It says they definitely not deserve a plug on the mojo. So there you go. There's the plug throttle power on YouTube. So those little gray bases that they use for builds that are not, that do not have a base. Those made the mo- display of those models look so good.
2: What were those made out of? And uh, do you know where they got them? Uh, I think, Okay. And this is a complete guess. In fact, if you look at one of my videos.
1: They're synthetic floor tiles is what they are.
2: Is that what they are?
1: That's what they are, yeah. See,
2: I thought they were artboard. Nope. Okay, synthetic floor tiles. Yep. If you if you look at one of my um, videos that I posted in the dojo, you can actually see the modeler using, I mean, he's putting down his models and he's sliding one under one of his models, and I thought it actually was a gray art board. But you say it's synthetic floor tile.
1: It's just it's a floor tile. I asked him about it one year because I had to put one under mine, and you know it's a great idea because it it gives the judges something to manipulate and touch and turn on the on the show table and don't have to touch the the entry, right. And uh, I don't know if that's primarily why they do it. Maybe some some of the folks from Indy could chime in and uh, let us know exactly what that is. In the event that I'm wrong, but I think that's what they are. Uh, tell us the uh, the rationale for using them and and what they are specifically. And because uh, Brandon's thinking he wants to use something like this for uh, Winter Bliss next year.
2: Uh, yeah, I would love to hear. Listen, we got a lot of the guys from Indy who listen. Uh, so especially a lot of the guys who are uh, deep involved in the actual contest. So I'm sure one of them will hear this. Please reach out and email us and let's talk about that.
1: And finally, from the email side, Mr. Michael Karnaka from uh, New York City.
2: Ah, uh, I always look forward to his questions.
1: I was wondering... If you've ever suddenly saw a photo or film that made you want to drop what you were currently working on and seek that subject out is the next modeling project?
2: Oh heck, yes! Yeah, well,
1: he's tempted by NASA's uh, test F eight uh, F fifteen num- number eight thirty seven, which has got the funky wings on it, uh-huh. and the and then the red, white, and blue scheme. Yep. Yeah. Uh, there's a conversion from BAM models out of France.
2: Oh really? Uh,
1: apparently there is. Wow, I'm surprised. But but he says that the price is keeping him respectable
2: at the moment. Oh, <laughs> come on! Compare compared to a bass boat, it's cheap. That's right. Well, Dave, what do you think? Uh, you've already said it. Give me an example. God, uh, this happens to me too often. Uh, I'll watch uh, uh, again. You and I have had a discussion. Should you have your computer in your model room? Does it distract? Does it add? Is the pluses to the pluses outweigh the minuses? I will watch, you know, YouTube videos, either, you know, any number of folks, um, Mark Felton Productions, Turkina Fell, just any, our friend Evan, any number of videos that. I find immediately inspiring. In fact, I'll I'll give you one of the latest ones. Special Hobby released a B-10 W-139, which was an early pre-war World War II bomber. And Mark Felton Productions uh, released a video that I had no clue Oh, God, you, you, you continue to learn if you're a World War II fiend, you continue to learn new stuff about World War II. It turns out that prior to nineteen forty-two and the Doolittle raids, two Japanese or I mean two Chinese B-10s dropped not bombs but leaflets on a couple of Japanese cities in 1938 or 39 and that was just such a great story by the way if you haven't just go to youtube mark felton productions and then once you get there uh search for a uh, first do little raid or or the first raid on japan and you'll find it it's a great video but yeah that, that happens to me Quite often, what I need to do is exercise more discipline so I don't go off down those roads. How about you? German eBay, hands down. I was going to say, with you, it's German eBay photographs.
1: Yeah, I was looking at a photo of a... It's an interesting picture. In fact, I bought it. I I was looking at it actually in my hands, not on German eBay, but it came from German eBay. It's a a Soviet T-60 light tank that's slewed off into this shell crater. And uh, there's a German D-Mog D7 half track that's pulled off to the road, and the, the guys are out looking at this tank down the hole, right? Right. But it's got all these really crazy markings on it. It's got multicolor unit markings on it and a slogan painted on it. And I'm, I got the Optivizer out and I'm trying to make it out. And I'm like, man, I need to look around, and see if there's like more photos of this, either this tank or, or more from the same unit. Cause this, this would be the one I'd want to do. Yeah. And uh, then I start thinking, oh yeah, Miniart got a T60 and there's a spare wheel on the engine deck. You can, you can see it's a, the early version with the spoked wheels instead of the solid wheels and Miniart makes one of those and
2: and then you is, started it, then you started checking for who makes uh uh 3D printed aftermarket tracks and photo etch and, and
1: all that stuff. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. Abso- absolutely. I yep. You know that that kind of ties into Dave to what we Used to well, used to, we still do, and often do, and have for years called virtual modeling, yep, where either either books or magazines or the internet or whatever. yeah, you're doing a lot of stuff, and it's fun and it makes you happy, but you're really not make you're not building a model,
2: yeah, but you're planning a build in your mind. and you know, there is I don't want to poo poo that too much. There is some satisfaction. You know what I'm reminded of in regard to this discussion? I think this was probably with on the on a DM with Jim and Ian and Evan and Chris and all. The photograph you have of the Russian civilian pulling the boots off of a dead Russian soldier and how evocative that photograph is and how I don't want I don't want to say inspiring in a bad way but how you can see that picture and it's something that just it brings out so much that I can see how that would be something that you would be compelled to model to try and capture the the emotion in that image
1: well Dave that's about it for the for the email side of things. What, what do you got on uh, the direct message from Facebook?
2: Well, I've got I've got quite a few. Uh, our friend Chris Mettings, who I want to thank because he did a decal sheet of seventy second scale and forty eighth uh, scale F four C's and D's from the Vietnam War, and he sent he sent uh, one of each sheet to me, and I want to thank him for that. Thank you. They're very nice looking. But he also actually did something that I thought was really interesting. You know, he does the Models for Ukraine books, and he's raised a lot of money for charity with those books. He actually took a couple of copies of them, sent them over to Ukraine to be uh, autographed by some notable Ukrainian modelers, which, by the way, and companies. And companies. And boy, you know there are some really good Ukrainian modelers. I'm I'm here to tell you, there's some talent in that country on the modeling front. So he had these things autographed, and he's actually selling them online again to raise money for for the charities that provide relief to Ukrainian civilians who've been displaced by by the war. So, uh, he actually let me know that and he asked if he could share it to the dojo and we of course told him that he could but uh if you haven't gotten models for ukraine one or two and you would like an autographed copy autographed by ukrainian modelers and manufacturers uh take a look at that and uh that's that's a that's a discussion piece that's something you'll have in your collection that very few people will have Next, uh, last last episode, you'll remember that my modeling fluid of choice was Upper Canada's Dark Ale, and I couldn't remember who gave it to us. And there's a good reason I couldn't remember. Bruce Worrell came over to the dojo, our Airbnb, after the show. I think he... Both nights. I think they're both nights, yeah. During the, the festivities at some point... He slipped a couple of the Upper Canada dark ales into the fridge for us to take back. And uh, he may have mentioned it. I don't remember whether he did or not. But uh, when I asked for whoever had done that, he identified himself. So thank you, Bruce. Bruce the model noob on. uh, Bruce the model noob on YouTube. and, And Facebook. And Facebook. Adam Greenwald reached out to tell us, you know how we've been saying that everybody and their brother is now releasing a paint line? Yeah. He was pointing out that ICM have now released their own paint line. (sighs) At some point, this is going to hit market saturation. I don't know what's going on i don't know why it's going on well
1: it's it's going i think part of it's going on because somehow it all finds its way to north america and maybe western europe as well i don't know but certainly certainly united states and probably canada but in the markets this stuff originates from a lot of these lines we see may not be available and uh, I see him paint in, in Ukraine. Maybe the the cats meow, man. I don't, right, I don't but know.
2: simply because you can't get much of you anything can't, else. You in can't there. get anything else. Yeah. Maybe I don't know. That, that's it's, that's a great question. Uh, but and maybe that's one explanation for this. But something is going on where it has become much easier to release a paint line for any manufacturer or for any company. And finally, Michael Karnaka, besides uh, giving you a nice photograph of a uh, a Katusha on the back of, uh, what is it, Gas 6? Zis 6. Zis six. 6. Besides him sending a, a copy of that along, um, he, and we all see this all the time, and, and we understand it, but uh, it's always a little, it brings a little bit of ch- a chuckle. He sent a photograph of a World War II war memorial plaque in front of an M113 armored personnel carrier, which, okay, I get the spirit. Yeah, it's good that we memorialize, never forget, and all that sort of stuff. But yeah, there is a little bit of a a, a disconnect when you see something like that.
1: Well, when you have the knowledge to know, yeah.
2: Yes, that's right, and <laughs> and probably most people who see that won't have any idea, but it's always funny. Mike always, ma- Michael always manages to send us uh, on DM something interesting or entertaining in addition to his questions emailed in every time. Is that it? Yep, that's it. This is the point in the episode where I ask you if you're done listening to the episode, you'll go ahead to whatever podcast app you listen on and uh, give us five stars, rate the podcast. It helps in all of the algorithms to drive us to be more visible. Also, if you will, if you've got a modeling friend who doesn't listen to podcasts, and this actually came up at Indy, where somebody came up to, me, to us uh, with a friend, and they had turned the friend on to listening to Plastic Model Mojo, and the friend had never listened to podcasts before, didn't know how, didn't know anything about it. So that is an important way for us to continue to grow. And uh, Mike and I behind the scenes talk about the statistics and we continue to grow and we are pleased about that. And one of the best ways for that to happen is for you to recommend us to a modeling friend who doesn't listen to podcasts, show them what it's all about. You may have to walk them through it. Please do that. Cause it really helps. In addition to that,
1: please check out the other podcasts in the model sphere. You can do that by going to www.modelpodcast.com. That's model podcast, plural with an S. This is a consortium website set up with the help of Stuart Clark from the scale model podcast up in Canada. And uh, you go to this site and you can see all the banner links to all the other podcasts who are participating in this spirit of cross promotion. And uh, I encourage you to check all those out and uh, see what they've got to offer. Uh, In addition to, the podcast, we've got a lot of blog and YouTube friends out there. Uh, you want to check those out as well. We're going to recommend
2: Mr. Jeff Groves, the Inch High Guy, the Inch High Guy blog. We definitely are because he was at Indy, and the big thing that you – one of the many big things you missed out at by not being able to make it to indie was, uh, sitting with, with inch at the table for a wide ranging hour and a half or two hour discussion. It was awesome. And we need to get up and see him sometime.
1: So check out Jeff's inch. I blog inch. I guy model airplane maker, Mr. Chris Wallace from, uh, from Canada, check out his blog and YouTube channel. Got a lot of good things going on there. And, uh, the big thing Chris has got going on is he's, uh, about to do uh model workshop 2.0, and we hope to be talking to him about that later once he gets moved into his new his new house and uh, gets his new model room up and running. Uh hopefully we'll talk about that a little bit. Sprue Pie with Fretz, Stephen Lee. Long and short form blog. Check it out. Steve's always got something good to say about the hobby, something interesting to say about the hobby. It's always worth uh checking in, checking up with uh him and seeing what what he's got going on. Jim Bates at Scale Canadian TV. Now, Jim's been uh He's been dropping them. Jim, keep it up. Yes, absolutely. Scale Canadian TV. And finally, Mr. Evan McCallum, our friend from Ottawa, uh, Mr. Panzermeister36, been dropping a few episodes of late and uh, encourage you to check it out. He's got a lot of uh, great content.
2: Yeah, I keep wondering if he's got a brass toothpick sponsorship yet. <laughs> If you haven't joined IPMS USA and uh, at least one member came up to me at Indy and told me that I finally wore them down and they ended up joining the national organization. Thank you. I think it was John. Thank you, John. In any event, If you're not a member of your national IPMS organization, IPMS USA, IPMS Canada, uh, IPMS Mexico, IPMS Norway, whatever, please join your national IPMS organization. They are the framework that helps, helps run IPMS and run modeling in the various countries, helping people put on contests, uh, there's a lot that the national organizations do. They supply insurance in some cases. They supply seed money in some cases. Uh, they definitely supply advertising. Uh, it's, it's a small investment given the, the cost of most kits these days. So go ahead and join, and when you do, shoot me an email or a Facebook DM to let me know you have, because that's always something that I enjoy.
1: All right, Dave, let's have a word from our sponsor. Plastic Model Mojo is now brought to you by Model Paint Solutions, your source for harder Steenbeck airbrushes, David Union power tools, and laboratory-grade mixing, measuring, and storage tools for use with all your model paints, be they acrylic, enamels, or lacquers. Check them out at www.modelpaintsolutions.com. Come and
2: make it in Texas, Dave. Listen, nothing got me so jazzed for the Nationals as going to Heritage Con. Because the buzz I got from Heritage Con was very, very similar to the buzz I get from a national.
1: Well, hopefully that's uh, sustained because uh, we are 106 days away from the IPMS National Convention in San Marcos, Texas.
2: We're going to break 100 by next episode. That's right. We'll we'll be there.
1: Awesome. It is awesome. Yes. And speaking of awesome... Brandon Jacobs chimed in again, and he wants to talk about baseball and the Nationals. All right. (laughs) So if you like baseball and you're traveling to the IPMS National Convention in San Marcos, Texas, during the first uh, weekend there of August, uh, there's some baseball to be had along the way.
2: When I went to the Nationals in Albuquerque in 1995, I actually went to the uh, AAA expansion team game for Albuquerque the night before the Nationals began. It was awesome. So if you are a baseball fan, some of these uh, AA and AAA teams are really great to see. If you're in the Houston area
1: prior to the show, uh, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday nights, is August, that's July 31st, August 1st, and August 2nd, Uh There's some day games there and night games. Uh, The Houston Astros are playing the Cleveland, uh, he says Indians, but I think it's the Guardians now.
2: It is the Guardians now, and you'll get to, if you go to those games, you'll get to hear trash cans banging. And and only baseball people will get that joke.
1: So, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, July 31st, August 1st, and August 2nd, there's uh, three games, if you're coming from the Houston area or, or, or are in the Houston area, prior to the national convention and want to check out some baseball, you can check out that series of games. Or if you're in the Dallas region, uh, the Texas Rangers will be playing the Chicago white Sox Tuesday, August 1st and Wednesday, August 2nd. So uh, there's a lot of baseball to be had. If you're uh, in the San Marcos area prior to the show,
2: you know, there's nothing better on a really nice night sitting out, drinking a beer and eating a hot dog Watching either professional baseball or triple A or double A baseball. It's just awesome.
1: Dave, it's the Benchtop halftime report brought to us by TacketZ. TacketZ.com, the must have tools for the model maker. You can uh, go to TacketZ.com and check out all the stuff Ed's got to offer and uh, what he's got coming up. TacketZ.com. Dave. What's on your bench?
2: On my bench is new build. It's the Academy F eight, which I am. This is the first build under the new uh, Build Quicker theory. Uh, it's also the build for the Model Geeks Mig Killer build. It's coming along really well. Now I'll tell you what. I've been spoiled by that Arma P fifty one. Um, that, you know, it's only been released a year or two ago. This Academy kit is like 10 years old, at least. And the engineering differences and the fit differences are amazing. There has been a revolution in model making and mold making. And I'm not sure we appreciate how, how big a change has occurred. Cause I'm putting this kit together and it's not a bad kit. Don't get me wrong. It, it fits well. It's all, but compared to something that was released in 2021, it's, it's, you can, you can see the differences. I'm, it's a, it's a little bit of adjustment for me to go ahead and build it, but I'm building it. I'm having fun. It's going together great. And in addition to that, The first of the repairs of the, uh, damaged kits from Hamilton, uh, the AS1 kennel is, uh, almost complete. And now I'm just about to the point where I need to touch, I need to paint it, uh, for the areas that got sanded. And then I'll put it, be able to put it in the case and move to the next. Of the damage victims, which I think will be the ArmA P fifty one, and try and get these knocked out so that I can, uh, you know, get on. But I'm it, It's nice that I've got the F eight that I'm able to work on the construction on, and then try and switch off and and do damage repair to the models that i've got that need to be fixed before they can go back in the case i'm i'm making myself do that uh i will be honest with you a lot of times in the past when a model's gotten damaged during transit i've put it back in the case and just let it sit there and always intended to go back and repair it and then end up never never doing that so Uh, this is, this is, this is part of my model growth experience. So how about you?
1: I've been pretty busy.
2: I know. I've, I've seen some of your busy.
1: Despite the, uh, model life work-life balance or whatever we called it earlier. Yep. Uh, I've managed to spend quite a bit of time at the bench.
2: Yep. And Uh
1: make progress too. First, we'll talk about the, uh, E sixteen Paul and the catapult. Um, yep, I, I'd hope to have the entire catapult weathered at this point, but I, I'm not there. But you know, I'm pretty close. Uh, I've yep. got all the all the pin washing done on the catapult boom. Uh, really, really happy with the way it turned out. Uh, it was a lot of work because I was fighting that wash tooth and nail. It was a MIG ammo, just black wash, and. I don't know if it was the variation in and surface smoothness or or what, but it's sometimes that stuff works great, the the wash, I mean, and sometimes it just tides out and just makes a mess of things. And uh I I don't know why on this one model it was giving me both both those responses. But it all turned out for the good and and it's all the pin washes on it's been clear coated again with a satin i'm ready to do some more of the, the oil paint work on to uh put some other colors on there some some dirt and grime and some rust tones uh in addition to the catapult boom i've also painted the uh the the, the uh the tower that the boom goes on to um it's a it's the kit turntable mounted to a 3d printed cylinder essentially Yep. uh did a lot of undercoating. I primed it black and then did a lot of undercoating in, uh, you know, like sky gray and white and maybe, uh, I think it's some Timia buff in the under there as well. Uh, before I sprayed the base coat, the base color, the, the Curie Arsenal gray from Timia yeah. sprayed that really thin, like 90% thinner, 10% paint and built it up really slowly to cover up all the underpainting.
2: And this is one of the things that you miss by not going to Indy. And no, that's not an attempt to make you feel guilty or anything. Yeah, right. Inch and I sat there, and we had a long, long discussion about the fact that, particularly airbrushing, but I think all of the modeling skills are perishable skills, and that if you're not doing them regularly, you lose some of the skill that you have. So I think that while you're working on the KV85 doing build stuff, the fact that you're doing not only pin washing, but airbrushing on the E16 project helps keep your your skills sharp with an airbrush.
1: Well, in addition to the painting of the catapult, I've planned out a base and submitted that to our friends at bases by bill
2: oh yeah uh, yeah
1: for consideration it's gonna look really nice now that may be putting the cart cart before the
2: horse i i I like it well and i like the ambition that tells me you're gonna finish this thing
1: i yeah i hope so so uh more more oil paint work on the catapult and then i'm i I gotta get started on the plane I'm, i'm scared but i just gotta do it
2: you just just pull the trigger You'll do. Start doing it, and then you go from there. It's honest to God. Once I you start, you'll be shocked at how easy it is.
1: Well, assuming that goes as planned, uh, I've I've also been working on the KV85, and I've got uh, the track runs finished. They're they're yep. completely they're completely assembled. Uh, the, the lengths of the runs have been adjusted to. Uh, to facilitate the look I want of the finished model versus the terrain I'm going to pose it on. Uh, I've got to get back to the base and, and and make some permanent decisions on uh, mounting the, uh, the roadbed and the railroad track. And really before I can, before I can uh, effectively pose the suspension, I, I need, I need, I need that to be locked
2: down airtight. I, I, I honestly, I think you almost need the base to be while not, completely complete you at least need the base to be basically complete in order to be able to put that down
1: all the all the rough terrain forms and the railroad track can be down yeah i I don't know that need like the the earth that the actual fill material on on top of all the under all this all the staged terrain all the all the yeah all the fake stuff you can't see once it's buried, buried under the groundwork. Right. Right. I think I can pose it on the, on the, on the, on the, uh, the facade, if you will, and then add all that stuff and get it, get it to work in the end. I, I think that's, I think that's going to work. I hope it works. Yep. <laughs> uh, when I'm not doing the, tr- the suspension stuff, the tracks, etc. uh, I started looking at the turret. Now, the turret for this project is a an uh, it's A resin kit. It's it's a Russian manufacturer. I bought this thing a couple years ago from a from a supplier in in Indianapolis, uh, Wanamaker Models, right? Or Wanamaker Hobbies. It's 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 an interesting. It's it's an old school resin upgrade, right? So it's it's basically what I intended to do with the original shot at this KV 85 that I started like four years ago or longer, really Uh, Eastern express kit, right? The uh, very rudimentary. The turret was pretty rough. Uh, This a resin kit is actually a a remodeled, retextured, redetailed Eastern express
2: turret. Sure. Well, a lot of the cottage manufacturers do that. They take the kit part that's wrong and use that as the basis for accurizing, and then casting the accurization.
1: And for the most part, it's as good, if not better, than what I would have probably pulled off on my own doing the same thing, which was my original plan to begin with. So, so that kind of worked out for for a few dollars. I saved myself a lot of work, right? Right. Uh, there's one area though that uh, I'm 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 gonna fix. I just got to get up the nerve to do it. Uh, on the on the turret roof there's two periscopes. And in typical fashion for, for armor, Soviet armor of that era, that the, the periscopes are mounted to the inside of the turret roof, right? Right. Through screws that are attached from the exterior of the turret roof.
2: Yes, you and I were discussing this last night, I think. And the the resin turret has accommodated that reality.
1: But it's a little bit soft in the end. And what I'm probably going to do is I'm going to drill all those screw holes out and replace those with some photo etch screw heads. Now, the screw heads I'm going to use are from an outfit called Alliance Model Works. And uh, I don't know if this set's still available. It's a LW35026. And it's uh, basically various sizes of uh, Phillips head and flathead screws. And what's neat about this set is they're etched on a, a self adhesive backing, which means no runners. There's no fret attachment to the screw heads, so and you can just that
2: you, it, that that when you're talking about something that's round and small and small, the fact that you've got no runner to try and clip off and then round out
1: is is it's, it's huge.
2: Yeah, huge.
1: So, I don't know, Alliance Model Works, if you need screw heads, check it out, because I think these are really going to fit the bill. Ah, I think that's my bench, Dave. I don't think I've been working on anything else.
2: Well, that, that's enough. You're you're working, man. I'm glad to see it. <laughs> so, uh, Mike, uh, this is the point where I think in this episode we're going to talk about our faves and yawns. Um. Oh man. Stuff stuff is keep getting released at a ridiculous rate to the point where you almost can't keep up with everything coming out. Particularly when you add in all the 3D stuff. So,
1: uh no doubt. Well, I've got a it's a fave, but it's also okay. I don't know what what it's not a yawn, but it's a fave. And it's it's something else. I don't know. Maybe a reservation. Okay. Uh just today, the day of we were recording this, which is April April 18th, TACOM did their typical ghost profile announcement of three new kits. Oh, did they? I didn't miss I didn't see yeah. this. Well, these three kits by the profile are gonna be a, a, a Hetzer early, mid, and late production
2: okay. variant. Well, that with makes full in- sense.
1: With, with interiors.
2: Oh, uh, well, you and I have talked about interior, particularly on a Hetzer. Can you open a Hetzer up much?
1: Uh, actually, the yeah, you, you actually can open it up quite a bit. The the, the hatches for the loader and commander uh, open up to reveal a, a pretty good view of the, the fighting compartment interior I- anyway. And, you know, the engine decks could, could be opened if you wanted to do that. But... You know, to me, his Hetzer's pretty good. Um, some of the others aren't bad either, but I've I've been planning in my mind an, an early Hetzer. There's one in particular I want to do, and this this just adds to the excitement of that. It's a, I'm really curious as to what these come out with and how good they are. Now, a lot of people, you know, the Hetzer's like another Tiger or Panther, but I don't know. I'll, I like this vehicle a lot, a lot more than those, so we'll see what they do. What about you?
2: Well, my f- my first fave is uh, a company called Aztec Models is releasing a 72nd scale Baraktar TB2. This is the drone that uh, uh, the Ukrainians purchased from Turkey in large numbers and has been featured uh, in a lot of videos in, in the coming out of Ukraine. Obviously, as a well-used combat drone or UAV or whatever we want to call it, uh, really popular now. Obviously, in seventy-second scale, this is not going to be a large kit, but I'm glad to see it because I, I, I'm, I, I will, I definitely want to add this to the collection. How about you, favor yawn? I've
1: got another fave and and it's another it's another it's another kind of dichotomous situation okay well my next fave slash yawn or not yawn but something else I don't know what to call it uh dos in partnership with amusing models is releasing the uh the ninety millimeter canonen and from the bundeswehr
2: okay I i know what that vehicle is
1: and it's, it's one that's always interested me. It's something else besides a fave because I have the Ravel kit.
2: Yep. I remember and I have, that
1: kit. I have just within the year purchased the, the perfect scale model bow uh, resin glacis and upper hull, upper superstructure roof upgrade kit for it, along with their road wheel upgrade kit for it, along with their <laughs> PE and pioneer tool upgrade kit for it. And the
2: tracks for it. So everybody who's uh, going to buy this uh, kit needs to send you a big thank you because you you personally are responsible for the kit being made. <laughs> I don't know, you know,
1: it, it, if this is new to, new tool, I assume it is. Um, maybe I will buy another one. I don't know, but uh, I, I'm excited to see this vehicle because it's it's the only time it's ever been done other other than the Ravel kit in 35th scale is a, a Tamiya one of those, I don't know, they had friction motors in them. It's like a 156 scale right. thing that they did yeah. years and years ago in the late 60s, early 70s. Uh, it's kind of the last of the Jagdpanzers,
2: right? Right. Uh, uh, d- as, as far as I know, no one other than other than the Bundeswehr, I, I don't think other than West Germany, anybody ever produ- produced post-war a assault gun uh, the the uh, SU one twenty two and one fifty two. I mean, those were both developments in Russia at the end of the war. I don't know that anybody. Well, they did.
1: they did do a, an assault gun on the T fifty five. Did oh okay, and then they've got the ASU eighty. 80- Seven, right, the T-55 and, and the ASU 57.
2: 57, those are kind of specialized airborne right. vehicles. But,
1: you know, not a not a fully armored right frontline kind of to to with tanks kind of Right. Vehicle. Assault
2: You're, gun, classic assault, assault.
1: or or tank destroyer, yeah. Right. Uh so I'm I'm curious as to see what what the uh, what this one looks like. Well good. It's, it's, it's gonna be fun am because of the shortcomings of the revel kit and the limited availability or expense of the perfect scale model bow resin upgrades, you don't you don't see many of those things built. Yep. This'll probably change that. Yep. What you got?
2: Uh my second fave is uh decal sheet. I know everybody's gonna be shocked by that. Um 72nd scale decal sheet, but Hold on to it. 72nd scale armor decal sheet. Uh, and it is star decals, 72nd scale sheet called war conflicts and special operations in Ukraine, part one, which is covers vehicles from 2012 to 2022, uh, Ukrainian vehicles. And this thing has. Everything from BMP2s, which by the way, are one of my favorite vehicles. They're just, they're just awesome vehicles. Uh, to the MTLB with the ZSU 23 2 on the back. Uh, to, uh, the little Gaz. It looks like a minibus. It just, it's awesome, awesome vehicles. Neat color schemes, neat markings. Um, uh, yeah, there's, I think we're going to be you modeling the Ukraine conflict for many years to come. And, uh, that decal sheet certainly looks like something I might want to pick up. How about you, Mike? Uh, I got a yawn. Okay. Give me a yawn. It's,
1: it's not a kit though. Okay. The latest MicroMark catalog showed up in the mail a couple days <laughs> ago, and on the front cover is this contraption they're they're marketing now called BrushCam. It's a paintbrush with a an attachment on it for a I guess it's a Bluetooth micro camera, right? That you can connect to your phone and give you a close up view of in your on your phone of what you're painting with the brush.
2: I don't know what to say man. Uh, you know what there many years ago at an IPMS Nationals they did a a parody of fine scale modeler where they had a laser sight attachment for an airbrush and this really reminds me of that. Well for 80 bucks you can uh, paint figures and watch it on your on your cell phone. I'm not sure that would actually improve your painting.
1: Uh, I'm thinking the uh, the monoscopic view you're going to get is going to make it a little harder than
2: I, I don't you, know. You, more well, pa- more more power to them. Right. If somebody buys this and tries it out, let us know what you think. What do you got, Dave? Okay, this is a fave and a yawn. So, one, see, you you set a trend. You're a trendsetter. A company called 308 Bits makes a 70-second scale set of resin bits for the Razor Crest from the Mandalorian, including engine exhausts, cockpit, back wall, and believe it or not, and I am not making this up, the Razor Crest toilet. So that you... (laughs) I'm not sure that you can see it if you install it, but those are the things they make for the Razor Crest. And the Razor Crest is popular, Mandalorian's popular. These things really look good. The yawn part of them is they're available through Shapeways. And (laughs) I'll be honest with you, at this point, I would not be buying anything through Shapeways. They just, they've... The the technology has passed them by, and unless they upgrade their printing now, maybe you'd be able to reach out to these people and get the fi- purchase the files themselves. So if you've got your own 3D printer and you want to do a, a Razor Crest from The Mandalorian, these really do look like good upgrades, all of them. Uh, but I just wouldn't recommend getting them through shapeways.
0: All right, Dave, that's the faves and yawns.
2: That's it, man.
0: Getting the right size base for your model, diorama, or vignette can be difficult and time-consuming. Bases by Bill has the solution with their all-new custom-sized display bases. Offering sizes of 4 to 30 inches, you can choose the dimensions you want and get the size you need every time and they can laser engrave the base with a unit emblem or text to your specifications. Better still, shipping is included within the lower 48 states. Built by modelers for modelers, Bases by Bill has bases and display cases for any type of model and for any size. Visit their website at basesbybill.com to see their products or to get your own custom-built base or display case quote. Use the code MOJO at checkout to apply a 15% listener discount to your order. That code again is MOJO for 15% off. Bases by Bill for all your model display needs.
1: Well, Bob, thanks for that self-motivated redo on the ad. <laughs> Appreciate that. Obviously, we like it. We put it in the episode. Yep. Sounds good. Well, Dave, our special segment tonight kind of has a, a history from uh, our last uh, episode with uh, Dr. Strange
2: Brush. By way of Heritage uh, Con,
1: by way of Heritage Con. Now that episode with Doctor Strangebrush, we talked about scribing, and uh, Mister John Chung from Canada, from Toronto area, messaged us and said how much he appreciated that episode because uh, anyone who's been paying attention to Facebook in the model sphere knows that uh, John Chung is building a seventy-second scale Ravel space shuttle, and he's he's scribing every single thermal tile on the skin of that vehicle on his model. He said he appreciated that episode and uh, thought scribing was a under underrepresented technique or uh, topic of conversation in the model sphere. And uh, that said, we went to heritage con and we, we met John at heritage con and uh, he cordially came up and introduced himself. And we had a little conversation there and uh, expressed his appreciation for the podcast and our, our appreciation back to him for uh, his modeling prowess and particularly this, this project and uh, we decided to have him on the show and dave uh, it's a pretty interesting conversation yep so how about we get into it
2: you got it well dave a
1: little heritage con followed us back from canada
2: Yes, it did. Well, actually, a lot of Heritage Con (laughs) followed me back because I spent some money, but uh, uh, that's not what you're talking about.
1: That's not what I'm talking about. Uh, Our guest tonight goes by the YouTube handle of Scale Scriber. And if you've been paying attention on Facebook much, uh, you've probably noticed a a pretty involved build of a 72nd scale space shuttle with a, a lot of scribing. Hence the name Scale Scribe. Our guest tonight is Mr. John Chung from uh, the Great White North of Canada. John, how are you doing tonight?
3: Uh, doing great. Thanks, uh, Mike and Dave. Appreciate the uh, invitation once again. Uh, it's quite the honor.
1: It, well, it, it, it's it's mutual. We enjoyed meeting you at Heritage to uh, Get that get that out of the way. Uh, what'd you think <laughs> of that show?
3: Oh, it's it, you know what it's. Uh, Way, way too many people and way, way too little time. I, I <laughs> barely got to speak with, with, with the gentlemen over there. And it's, yeah, it was, it was overwhelming. It was also my first show since COVID. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. Wow. So it's been three years. Uh, it was really good to see people and friends I hadn't seen in a long time.
1: Uh, yeah, that's true. Well, it was our first time up, up that way to that show. And uh, we just had a blast because we, we've made a lot of friends uh, in the Ottawa area since, uh, we started the podcast and it's, it's amazing because uh on the way up, we were talking cause we had a long time in the car. So we had to talk to each other. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, in 2020, none of this would have even been conceivable for us because we didn't know any of the people that we were actually sharing a, a Airbnb with. We didn't, we didn't even know those people in 2020 and and now they're some of our best friends. So uh glad to have you um, among those, John. Um, It's just a, a pleasure to have you on and, uh, Let's talk about this space shuttle. I, I know you were on the s- Sprue Cutters union a couple times, and, and you talked about it a little bit. We'll direct the folks to those other other interviews so they can get the the, the full dish on that. But uh, I, I know you'd built one of these as a as a child, I believe, if I remember correctly, and this is your second go at the, at this uh, at this
3: kit. Uh, yeah, that's correct. Um, just uh, before I get into that, I don't have a YouTube channel, so my work are on Facebook. Oh, I'm sorry. Did I say YouTube? Uh, yeah, yeah, so if, <laughs> in case someone tried to look me up on you, you're going to be sort of disappointed. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, you are correct. This is the second goal that, uh, for me, at this particular kit. It's a 72nd scale monogram space shuttle that they released uh, circa 1980, I believe. Yep. Yeah. And yeah, so, and it's been around for about 30 some odd until Monogram got acquired by Ravel. And Ravel, they. Since they had a competing mold of their own space shuttle, they essentially stopped the monogram release. Uh, so at this time, you can't you can't find it um, brand new. You have to find them on eBay, secondhand market, model shows. Um, but but it is the it is the kit that I built. Uh, oh man, thirty years ago, so quite a trip down memory lane. Quick quick question. I know that kit
2: when it first came out back in the eighties because it's. People don't. First of all, congratulations on building in the correct scale. Number two, (laughs) um, the I know when that kit came out in the eighties because of its size, and it is big. Had the reputation of um, having a fair amount of warp. So, did you encounter that with either of the of the kits that you bought?
3: Okay, so you got to remember, I was probably like 10, 12 years old. I just got into model building. It was probably the third model kid I painted. And I did so with those small square testers and enamel bottles, with those testers' white brushes. Yeah, With the god awful black bristles. Yep. So for a 12 year old kid, this thing was incredible. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know anything about filling scenes or warpage, and I just I would just happy to have a large model of a spaceship that could fly around the linear. This time around, however, I did encounter warpages. Uh, in fact, um, I had to do quite a number of structural um mediations, I guess. Um remediations, remediations, uh in form of bulkheads and keel beams and stiffeners across the entirety of the primary fuselage. Yeah. Um, I detailed this uh, with the post about a couple months ago where I had to take a 1-8 uh, a inch, inch thick sheet styrene um, piece and essentially build up Q-beams uh, from nose to tail so I can butt rest the entire lower fuselage, uh, which by this spine, you know, before I fixed it, it, looked like you know, just endless amount of sine waves going from front to back.
1: <laughs> you know what sine waves are, Dave?
2: Yes, I know what <laughs> sine waves are. I do remember high school science.
1: <laughs> Apologies for the technical jargon. Yeah, yeah. Hey, that's all right. He's a lawyer. Well, I'm not, jo-
2: John. What are you speaking? Of which What do you do for a living? Just so I know your background.
3: <laughs> right. Um, I'm i I'm currently a, a spacecraft systems engineer. Uh, no, so you're power. a Mike. You're another Mike. <laughs> you're an engineer. Yeah, that's correct. I, I I play with big spacecraft during the day and play with small spacecraft at home at night. <laughs> <And I, laughs> one of go. those
1: guys. Well, I the one of the things that I've I've just found intriguing is is the is describing. I mean, that's the Scale Facebook page, and I've I've been watching this for a long time, John. And I, I know you're you've got a pretty solid aircraft modeling background and you know, you first contacted us after we talked about scribing with our, our Dr. Strange brush. And I tell you, Dr. Miller gave us his insight on scribing and, and, and you've got this project, John, that is just over the top. I I have to imagine this is, I can't imagine a, a scribing task that is going to ever, ever eclipse this one. I I mean, it's possible, I guess, but uh, when you decide to rebuild this thing, how much scribing experience did you have before you
3: you took this guy on? <laughs> well, um, th- thanks for the uh, thanks for the compliment. I, I to start with, I don't wish this upon the worst of my enemies. <laughs> and yet, that. you
2: voluntarily <laughs> inflicted on yourself.
3: Yeah, yeah. You know, nostalgia has a way to work into our lives and projects and those sorts. Uh, but yeah. but to answer your question. Um, I've been building models for as long as I can remember, and I guess uh, as as a result of that, I grew up with some pretty crude model kits that nobody will want to touch. This you know in this golden age of scale modeling. Um, yeah. I, I built we all remember when you know, DynaVector's uh platform kids were the best in class for some of the subjects that we grew up loving, right? <laughs> um so that that's that's the that's the sort of stuff that I had content with. Uh with that said, I I, I had a lot of practice <laughs> scribing as a result. Um and I I was able to um, hone my skills um over the years, uh starting with uh, essentially, a broken Xactonite that I just kind of cobbled together from you know, my, my tool chest, um, the same way that you would use Xactonite to kind of scrape away plastic mm. uh, and to basically forge into any broken panel lines and surface details. I started with that, um, and I, I was very um, impressed at how comprehensive Doctor Miller's uh, John Miller's interview was. Just because he had such a not just the depth of knowledge, he had such a passion for the subject, and you could tell that he really understood the beauty of the craftsmanship. I was going to say joy of the craftsmanship, but I don't think this is something to <laughs> rejoice over. <no. laughs> yeah, having having the uh, having the, the 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 experience of of. Sort of the sort school of hard knocks, building up these, uh, these really really crude kids and having to scribe details that you've since lost. Um, and I, I I really appreciated him bringing up that you no know, in back in the days all we had were essentially tools that were from different trades, like dental tools. Essentially, that some of the earliest scribing sure, tools were sure, that. Yeah. Yeah. And I I had I started with tools that were essentially dental tools. Uh, I remember going through. Now, half a dozen of those, uh, I would get a new scriber every, every, every few weeks just because I was wearing them out so quickly and was not using them the way that they were so used. And eventually I arrived at my current setup, which is really just a sewing needle in a simple pin vise. Um, I s- happened upon the sewing needle as a result of, um, doing some research on the internet you know, the bit of the internet that we have back 20 years ago when we had uh the the preliminary forms of scale modeling forms this is oh, pretty gosh, hyperscale and yeah, like a pre, pre-aircraft pre resource center base yeah uh i just i don't remember who or where but someone just suggested hey why don't you try a sewing needle in a pin bite? if they're cheap and it doesn't work my way it doesn't hurt right right so that's where it grew from and i've uh i've since i've since grown to to appreciate that tool in its simplicity and its versatility um and i was for some reason able to get good enough at it for me to trust it in my endeavor on the space shuttle project That's a long about way of answering your question, if if that's okay.
2: Let me ask you a step back question, a a 40,000 foot view. When you're presented with a model like the Space Shuttle, raised panel lines, I, I know there are two basic approaches. One is to eliminate each panel, raised panel line, and then re engrave it before you do the next one. Or there are other modellers who eliminate all of the raised surface detail and then rescribe everything from from the start with a blank canvas.
3: Which way did you do it? That's a very good question. And to be completely honest, I didn't have to contend with that because there is basically next to no raised details on the space monogram space shuttle model. Okay. Um, The Revell kit had raised surface details uh thin panel lines that uh what's sort of a crude attempt at addressing the thermal protection system the kyle but they were three or four times too big so you couldn't have used them anyway gotcha. on the monogram kit there was nothing there was basically a faint raised outline for the demarcation between the black and white areas only and was blank otherwise there was there was no surface detail
2: whatsoever. so you had a, just a completely blank canvas to 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 start from
3: yeah, that, that's exactly it. So it's it was both a blessing and a curse because um, you didn't have anything to... I didn't have anything to really start with um, to work from. But at the same time, I didn't have to stand away anything, which can be a bit of pain if all the raised details that are present are wrong to begin with. And there were a lot of things that were wrong with this kid to be. I don't know. I, I
1: would go the blessing route. Could you imagine if they put a bunch of tile profiles on there either raised or engraved and they were just a a facsimile of they're just made up and wrong because i <laughs> i know I, I know you're going to great lengths to get this as right as you can get it correct
3: yeah yeah it's uh i you know like this is a this is a project that i wanted to do right from years ago and part of it was definitely a, a forty thousand 000 feet decision of what I wanted to do with it from a detail standpoint, right? Like it's, I mean, for some people, it's perfectly fine to simply paint black one areas as they are. Um, and for others, it's okay to go the deco route. There are decos you can purchase for space shuttles that essentially gives you a printed uh sort of well, surface detail of, the, the tiles, the thermal protection systems. I don't know why, but I want to describe the, the entirety of the thermal protection system. I think I've always had it at the back of my mind. I don't think as a 16 year old, I quite thought it through what the implications were. I just wanted to <laughs> do it. And that kind of dictated my approach from the get go. Uh, it's definitely not something that I would ask people to do to so follow in my footsteps. Please, please plant your models out before you jump into a very deep lake that you can't get out of.
1: Well, I think in in the end, you're going to have a superior result than a, than a, than a, at least a, just a normal 2D printed decal sheet, just using like color variations to, to show the tile. Uh, I think this might be ripe for some of this new three-dimensional decal technology that is showing up now that you could do the, you could actually have a texture, right? You could actually have, have the demarcations between the tiles. Uh, But I I think in the end, this is going to be super. Now, uh, let me digress a minute. Uh, John, when I was in engineering school, uh, we're talking about these tiles, right? Um, uh, My materials engineering class, my professor at the University of Tennessee actually had some involvement in the development of that material. And I remember he took us down to the engineering lab and the furnace was already going. And we get down there and we all gather around and he opens up the furnace and reaches in with his pair of tongs after he puts on these big gauntlets and he pulls this shuttle tile out of the furnace and sets it down on a something, a piece of ceramic or, or asbestos, maybe, I don't know what, but it's, it's glowing red, right? He takes off his gauntlets and he picks it up with his bare hands. And, uh, we were all just gobsmacked at that point because (laughs) it's pretty amazing material. It really is. Even, even in 2023,
3: I think that's pretty cool. Uh, so you actually worked with a professor who was involved in the development of the tiles Absolutely. yeah it's, it's
1: it's 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 kind of a, a glass wool it's a, <laughs> it's a spun glass material and it's uh uh pretty amazing but i digress
3: as
1: as the cliche says so but the th- that's uh that was my little story about these tiles it, and you know it keeps me interested in your project actually though because I've, i have that memory and you you're scribing all these things on this 70 second scale. This, and it's a
2: big thing, right? Yeah. Oh God. That, <laughs> that people don't realize how big this kid is.
1: <laughs> what, what's your reference for uh, the tile patterns and the, and the layout. What, what are you using to, uh, to get that to, the way you want it?
3: Oh, very good question. Uh, I, I need to thank all of your American taxpayers uh, who, who contributed financially <laughs> to my project. You're welcome. <laughs> NASA is a publicly funded organization, and so is the Smithsonian. And NASA has a habit of making everything they do available for free uh, to the public, uh, and now on the internet as well.
2: Yeah, I think that I think they're actually required by law to do so.
3: Yeah, yeah, they are. So, um, I, I I actually shared uh, links to. Um, Tile maps, they have tile maps for individual shuttles because they're all different, a little bit different to some degree. Really? I was able to download, yeah, yeah. Um, the, the, the pattern on
2: each individual shuttle was slightly different?
3: Yes. These are, these are hand-built vehicles. Like, well, they're not the, production yeah, vehicles.
2: That's wild. I would never have thought that even on a hand-built vehicle, you would have thought that there was, you know, consistency. Across the across
3: the fleet, to, to a large large degree, there is uh, consistency across the fleet. Um, especially when it comes to the black thermal tiles, um, the white areas are um, what evolved quite a bit over the life of the shuttle. They started out with just black and white tiles. Um, and very early on, even before the first space shuttle mission, they were well into developing more um, cloth-like material that were made of ceramic strands, uh, for instance. Um, and if you can imagine, if you replace uh, a large field of 100 tiles with just a single ceramic woven panel, that's going to make your life a lot easier from a maintenance standpoint. And, gotcha. Uh, to a durability standpoint. So over time, even as early as you now, the, the so within the first tenth flight of the space shuttle, I think um, space shuttle Challenger was started to be fitted with panels of these woven fabric uh, to test out their durability. Um, so by the time that Discovery, the third space shuttle, Atlantis, uh, the fourth space shuttle were built, uh, this was 84-85, They were built with uh, the primary of the white area uh, as as these uh, ceramic woven surface insulation essentially in lieu of the white tiles Uh, you can still find some white tiles in certain areas for aerodynamic reasons um but yeah the uh, technology was just evolving so quickly uh back then so that's why you have the variations in thermal protection system layout and going back to your question um about references the nasa drawings are pretty decent But you got to also remember over the years as the space shuttle uh, operated and they were maintained, there there were changes, there were updates, uh, things had to be replaced and whatnot. So the best reference that I found was actually the 3D scan that the Smithsonian did, I think it was circa 2020. And they made the entire scan file available online for anyone to download. So I, I was able to grab that entire scan and now I have the... Uh, the scan kind of the space shuttle discovery on my hard drive, essentially. And that's not just the texture, that is the you know, the coloration as well. So I can zoom into a specific tile and know how it looks when the space shuttle was retired in terms of how it's faded, its coloration. You can zoom in and read out the serial number on each one of the tiles if you wanted to. That's the resolution that I was able to get off um, of this. Uh, smithsonian scan and that is right now my primary and most useful reference material
1: well and i've i've been following you you've been rebuilding the engine mounts and the aft end uh bulkhead under the the vertical stabilizer Mm -hmm. that's your most most recent work and i saw you had to redo (laughs) a few things uh (laughs) just a few (laughs) just a few i i tell you what what is the end game here as far as you're having you've you've mentioned already to redoing some of this internal structure to get this get the warpage out of it, to get this thing rigid. Um, is this an ex, ex, exterior only model or are you are you gonna have an open cargo bay? what's what are you hoping to do here?
3: Um, i I' kind of be avoiding this question uh, a lot. <laughs> people, people have asked me over time, uh, and because I feel so slow, I can sort of you know, push it off. I don't really want to think about it because it's just <laughs> if I want to open up the payload bait, it's basically going to double the amount of work I need to do. And if I say I'm going to do an open payload, I kind of have this need to kind of carry through and be a man of my word. But um, I, I may just actually do that. So just, I'm going to admit <laughs> on your podcast that I, I am seriously thinking about, you know, like having a pipe up the behind and have the space all basically up vertical.
1: Okay. With the payload
3: bait open. Because there's, I mean, if I'm going to all twenty-five thousand tiles on this beast and the majority of it's going to be on the valley there's no point having it on its landing gear where you can't see that's true bottom, right? <laughs> and it's a space shuttle so you kind of have to um you have to you have to show it in its natural environment which is in space with the pale of it open.
2: that means you have to scratch build a hubble space telescope to go with it right
3: yeah see like here's another thing right you don't want to build it as a a in space now i have to decide which mission i have to do and now i have to go and research into the specific payload into, you know like it just the scope creep is not fun no in any sort of way <laughs> at work
2: or at the hobby bench exactly i can tell i can tell tell you're an engineer if i hadn't asked already you used scope creep that's that's <laughs> that's definitely an engineer word well i guess the where
1: i what the impetus for my question was you're, you're doing all this structural work to get the warp out of it in in doing that. You haven't already short circuited the ability to have an open cargo bay because you put some bulkhead that didn't really exist in there to get some
3: warp out of the model. Uh, no, I've, I've accounted for (laughs) the the eventuality. So (laughs) if if I, if I need to go that route, it's, I I can still do it. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But, it, you know, like, I, if I can just digress a little bit, uh, this kind of goes back to uh, what you asked previously about uh, the age of the kit and whether it's still warped. Um, I want to touch upon accuracy. Um, I, I, I know that uh, the divisible part, the, the describing of the tiles, it's probably what gets the most attention uh, from um, from people most of the time. Yeah. The accuracy is also very important because, um, I, I'll just I'll just use an example. The leading edge strakes on the space shuttle. The space shuttle is a double delta wing. So you have you no know, the 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 wing itself, and you have the forward portion, which on the airplane it's the leading edge extension. Right. But these are the forward forward delta part with the, the the more drastic sweep. There's a cant to it. There's 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 um the the angle at which it bites into the airstream uh, matters. And that is too flat on the model, the monogram model, and it gives a really weird look to it. So I, I want to fix that to give it the correct look when view from the front. Um, however, that also uh, was needed from a detailed standpoint because I, I'm scribing essentially all the tiles as accurately as I can. I'm literally going in and counting the number of tiles and number of rows everywhere. Um, (laughs) And just so happened that the leading edge point of that straight on the port side, just below the crew hatch, um, has about three tiles between the top of the straight and the bottom of the hatch. Now, if I didn't fix that pitch of the straight, those tiles would have been two or three times as long as they should have been and that would have completely thrown off the geometry of the tile or i would have had to add additional rows in there to composite which would have made it inaccurate from a tile map standpoint so you know everything kind of just percolates and everything kind of just kind of affected each other so even if i wanted to get away from a certain portion of the accuracy work i it'll come back to buy me if i don't deal with it early on enough so that that's an example that I, w- I would give in terms of how why I'm doing so much work to not just detail the surface of the space shuttle but also to address the structural and the accuracy standpoint of the model itself
1: well there's also an example of you not doing some work and I don't mean that in the in the pejorative <laughs> uh, I, no, no. there there was a uh, it was one of your Facebook posts and folks were concerned about you doing all this work and then obliterating it by filling the, you know, the seam lines like joining the fuselage halves or however the kit goes together. And, uh, you, you made a comment about scribing, you know, up to a safe distance around that stuff and then not actually finishing that scribing until you've actually got, got the parts together. So you only have to scribe it once
3: essentially. Yeah, that's correct. I I, I just wanna preface this by saying that I, I I know most people ask this out of really, really good intentions. I appreciate that. You know, people are looking out for me. <laughs> um <laughs> so it's 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 a it's an old kit, right? In any kit. You know, the most modern to me a kid you'll have to deal with joint lines and scenes. Uh, this is a this is a 1980s monogram kit, and you have you have you have a Grand Canyon down the middle of the fuselage joint. I I make sure that I I stop myself to within a quarter inch of either side of the center joint, and I will mark out you no know, like the general outline of where things are just to make sure that all the details will align. You know, when when I eventually go and fill in, go in the, the in between areas, but I I I prefer to plan my builds out. Um, Far far ahead down the road, so that um, I when I when I when I go um, far into the future to where I need to exercise certain steps of a model, I won't um, be. I, it's not just I will may or may not have to redo a certain amount of work, but I would I be hindered by the work I've done previously. If I if I were to um, not plan ahead and go ahead and scribe the models. Uh, down to you know, the joint, um, even if it's a really, really well uh, put together joint, um, I would still be hesitant at, uh, let's say, adding any internal uh, doubler if I need to to, to beef up the area, uh, because the adhesive might seep into the scribing that I've done, and now the details may be softened, and now I have to go in and rework it anyway, and at that point I might have to rescribe it. So, you know, like, like all these contingencies that I can think of in my mind, um, I try to imagine them so that I I, I, I can plan ahead well enough. Um, the bulkhead that I talked about previously is, is the same thing. Uh, a lot of it is not just to fix the warpage, but to fix how well parts come together. Um, the monogram classic, it's probably like a 16 of an inch, if not thinner, across the entire lower fuselage. And... On a large model, that doesn't give you a lot of strength, right? You no, that's not
1: very much at all.
3: <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, so, so now I have a keel beam that essentially is you no know, a quarter or half of an inch tall that I can just glue the entire um, surface on both sides, and that's going to give me a really, really strong structural joint when I go ahead and put it together. Um, so that that's that's sort of my frame of mind when I try to approach these these large drawn-out projects is to sort of talk about project management, right? try to like imagine what can happen two years on the road and plan ahead. John, let me, let me
2: now focus instead of a big picture, a very tiny picture Describe to me, you're going to scribe a line on this model, just a, a single panel line on this model. Walk me through the technique of doing so. Do you start by with with do you use scribing tape? Do you start by drawing the line in pencil? What is your what is your technique for scribing a just a, a regular panel line that you're going to put onto the model?
3: Hmm, that, that, that that's a really good question. I, I appreciate you asking that. This model is large. There's the surfaces are devoid of details. There's not a lot of geometric references that you can Based upon to a certain where a certain line is. Um, so, what I would do is to first understand if I want to scribe that line or not. It sounds interesting because, well, the answer is obviously yes. I would need to scribe that line. But if I were to scribe that line, why would I need to determine its location? And now I start looking around. I'm going to use an example. Another example uh, that is the. Um, forward fuselage of the space shuttle. Uh, On the side there are these black area of tiles uh, where it sort of translates into you know the white area on top of the the nose and that demarcation between the black and white area is wrong on the modern computer. Um, So there are a few features that I can base it off of. I can base it off the window, I can base it off where the cargo bay starts, I can base it off where the landing gear bay ends, um so as, as you can see now i'm starting to build uh, a picture where if i if i assume everything is wrong no well, none of those features are exactly where they should be uh on the actual space shuttle i can start to uh, negotiate negotiate the accuracy of if i were to move it a little bit closer to the window but a little bit too far from the landing gear bay for instance um how would it affect the other features i need to put in uh, once I have that determined, I start drawing in the locations uh, with a pencil. I use a soft uh, leaded pencil uh, just because you didn't know it, it. allows me to um, not have to put so much pressure uh, on the pencil as it work, which is very useful if I want to draw over a soft fill like putty or a surfacer.
2: Do you, do you use any sort of straight edge to draw that line with that pencil? Do you use yes. tape or, or ruler or or a temp, uh, aluminum template or what? What do you use to draw that line?
3: Uh, yeah. So I, I have uh metal templates. I I use uh Haskell try tool templates. There are the straight gotcha. type that yeah. comes in three different bands with different yeah. banners in them. I also use the, uh, the the curved linear ones. Right, that allows me to negotiate different curves and surface uh, contours. Uh, I try to stay away from adhesive pack um i guess tapes or templates just because uh, I find that oftentimes I will need to nudge it just a little bit you know and if it's adhesive there's a bit of a grip on the surface and i uh, need to put it in and use a bit of a shear and and that may not be ideal uh, and I if i were to remove that adhesive tape sometimes it may rip off any you know, like loose like, uh putty or surface pillow that may not be gripping as well to the surface. So, so that's what I do. So you've drawn the
2: line where now you're, now you're I assume, going to actually begin to car- scribe into the plastic. You just grab your needle and a pin vise and go to town or what?
3: <laughs> that, that That's actually exactly what I do. I, I, I grab my needle and the pin vise and I set the uh, template down uh to where i want it to be and this is actually exactly why i use a leaded pencil because the diameter of the leaded pencil the mechanical leaded pencil is approximately the same diameter as the needle so i can gotcha. learn to offset the position of the template such that the edge is sort of half a diameter away from the medium if that makes sense
2: yeah no that makes perfect sense
3: yeah and and, and, I, and I just go very lightly uh with multiple strokes uh dr strange brush uh also talked about using light and very controlled strokes where the, you know, each successive stroke would land uh, into the groove very naturally of the one before. Um, and because it is a needle in a pin vise, it displaces metal rather than, uh, sorry, displaces material, not metal, right. um, uh, rather than uh, remove it. So if I were to be just a little bit off, I can sometimes cheat. I can just run my fingernail through. The previous groove and push the plastic back in a little bit. Right. I uh, suppose to having to fill that line up uh, and then and, and restart from scratch. And 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 that's what I would do. Once I have my uh, groove down or my panel line, um, I there are a few methods that I go about removing edge burrs. Uh, I sometimes use a fresh Exacto blade just to kind of very gently carve off the burrs yeah um sometimes i will use a very fine steel wool to polish off the burrs that has the effect of rounding off the edges the corners of your panel line so that mm-hmm. may it may not be ideal that's also uh tricky if you have adjacent details that you don't want to touch because it's you essentially sending the entire area sure yeah so and, and after you clean up the edge burrs, then the chances are uh, you'll have to uh, retouch the scribe features a couple times more with uh, your your needle. Um, and it, it's just a back-and-forth process by that point.
2: Now, once you've – okay, you've scribed, you've removed the burr, you scribe, you pull out the, the dust, whatever. Do you I, – I know many aircraft modelers who will – in the rescribing process as a last step, take something like Tamiya extra thin cement on the tip of a brush that's almost completely removed the 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 cement itself from the brush, but there's just a hint of it. And then they'll run it in the line, almost like they're trying to to finish or polish the line, remove any little... Debris that they've missed. Do you do anything to the line once you finish scribing it and removing the burrs and the dust?
3: I don't. The only thing I would do is maybe go over it with a, uh, a used toothbrush, which doesn't okay. abrade the, the, the area a little bit, the line a little bit, just to get any of the, uh, the gotcha. um, dust or particulates yeah. out from in between. I, th- I think that trick uh, will be more understandable if I were to be using a tool that uh actually remove the material so on a microscopic level i would imagine that it it, it rips away the material right uh leaving uh you no know, like like edge serrations for lack of a better word and you right. want to smooth that over with coming extra thin so i can see that being useful that way
2: right well, whereas what you're doing with the needle is in essence deforming the plastic
3: correct different ways to skin had. <laughs>
2: gotcha
1: for for sure i you know uh, it's interesting that uh, all the all the compliments you've had and uh, the appreciation you had for our our Scribing Me episode and and some of the things you're doing aren't aren't exactly the same as what what Dr. Miller was doing but uh, uh you know the, the the proofs in the pudding as they say and uh, you're, you're certainly getting excellent results, and it's, it's pretty pretty stinking amazing. I've just and Generally, I I've, I've followed you do all the, the scribing on the nose, and now you're doing the aft end. As far as the model's concerned, um, you're still just kind of dealing with the fuselage, I assume?
3: Uh, at this time, I am still dealing with the fuselage. I actually started the model with the nose, Uh, And I very quickly move on to the vertical tail, which I finished doing a very long time ago. Um, Somewhere in between there, I've actually already uh, worked on the shape of the wings themselves. Uh, The the camber, the cross-section of the wing isn't exactly accurate. And under lighting, you can sort of see the shape doesn't look exactly right. So I, I roughed it out enough that I can probably move on to detailing that. Um, but at this time, um, it, it's still just the main f- fuselage, fuselage portion. I haven't had the guts to touch the cockpit yet. <laughs>
1: <laughs> have you, uh, scribed the tiles on the, on the wing under surface? No, not yet. I have not. <laughs> now, it, <laughs> now that may be a blessing after doing the curved surface of the fuselage though. That
3: may be. Oh yeah. Oh, now sure. I, I'm.
2: <laughs> <laughs> um, on the on the laryx, the well, what would be a laryx on an aircraft, the leading edge extension where it kinks and meets the fuselage. Yes. You talked about the camber not being correct. Are you going to? Tr- is there any way to actually try and correct that on the physical model, or are you simply going to have to adapt to what's there and do your best to represent? The the tiles.
3: Um. So that's a, that's a good question. I I, I appreciate you asking that. The, uh, the answer is it's complicated. <laughs> <laughs> He's going to try to rebuild it. <laughs> so so the 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 leading edge extension uh the the forward part of the forward, the, the the double delta. Um. I had to actually cut both of the the port and starboard side off uh along where the leading edge extension meets the fuselage so lengthwise right. I sliced the whole thing off front to back and then I I, I took it to give it a correct uh nose up pitch and I I I went and put lateral slits along the fuselage on the bottom and I took a a a large plier just no haru grade a plier and just pry pry the bejesus on the plastic until I have the <laughs> correct contour and then I I, I <laughs> And, and then I just peppered the backside with thick sheet styrene so that when I eventually went to sand it, I could sand through some of the kit styrene as needed to get the correct profile. I did that also for the wing, the upper portion of the wing leading edges where the gray tiles and like the, the gray uh, reinforced carbon carbon panels are right. that has the same issue. So I also did that. I had to laminate styrene on the inside and I did sand through the kit plastic in some places, um, to to <laughs> achieve that correct cross section, it's not perfect, um, but it's uh, you know it, it looks better than what it started out.
1: Well, John, you didn't think we'd talk long about scribing.
3: <laughs> just a little <laughs> bit, right? <laughs> just a little bit. Well,
1: you said you were you were you like to talk about your shuttle project, and and it's it's amazing. But you you mentioned something just a little bit ago about the the cockpit uh, at a high level. What's the plan there?
3: Uh, I don't know. I, I honestly do not know. Uh, I I mean it's the cockpit is very limited when when you're when you're trying to look inside and, and as much detailing as I would like to do a majority of my builds, I don't like to put details in places that are essentially a waste of the effort for me going forward.
2: If they can't see it, why do it? <laughs> well if
3: I can't see it, why do it too, right? Right. <laughs> uh, I, I had a gentleman would legitimately ask if, if I'm going to build the mid deck of the space shuttle of the airlock on the inside <laughs> I just said no <laughs>
1: well, how, how many windows does that have one0 <laughs> <Zero? Yeah. laughs>
3: exactly uh but I, I I don't I still don't know if I will go the 3d printing approach uh i'm pretty proficient with cat i've been doing it all my professional lives i've done 3d printing enough to be able to do it if i want to so i mean that's that's still a plan um where it's i I think i think on this build though i will try to first come up with a solution that is more old school so to speak you know just just craft it out of styrene and stretch through and it just the whole the whole project is just nostalgia for me, and that's what I want to, you know, have on this um, on, on the majority model as much as I can. Sorry, that's that's definitely going to be my my first solution. Uh, if not, no, I will. I'm more than happy to explore other approaches.
1: Well, what I was going to say, John, is is is, and you may have already answered the question and what you just said. But uh, when I was watching you rebuild the the aft end of the, of the shuttle, the aft bulkhead with all the, with the engi- engine mounts. I'm thinking, why did you just not 3d print CAD, those m- mounts up and 3d print them? Cause you've got the one on top and the, and the two underneath are probably mirror images of each other. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> You know, and then you had, you had to go back and redo it. And if you'd have, if you'd done that in CAD and 3D printed it, that would have been a lot easier than than starting over and rebuilding them from scratch, right? From a oh, I don't want to even say it, but from a from a modeling philosophical standpoint, and think I think you may have answered this in what you just said a second ago. Um, what's keeping you from using that tool? Now that you've said you have the capi- capability, because you know I'm an engineer too. I've been doing CAD all my life, and I, I just got a 3D printer, and. Uh, my tendency is to use it as a tool for simpler things and, and not try to do these grandiose, all-encompassing, super detailed 3D printed parts out of it. That's kind of where I'm at right now, and that could change. But uh, for, for you, though, uh, that would seem like a – for if, if I was building that shuttle, that would have been a prime candidate to just cad that up and cut and run and just get it over with. What What do you got to say about that?
3: well it's it's interesting that you brought oh congratulations on your 3d printer by the way you're gonna have a lot of fun with it <laughs> um but you know like it, it, you 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 nailed it on the head right it's it's a personal philosophy when it comes to the approach that you're going to take on a model if i'm not so emotionally attached to this particular kit, um i wouldn't even use it you know why why bother like they're they're there are accurate 3D scans of the shuttle on the internet, just take it and they'll tweak it. Take the SDL file and print your print a shuttle. Why do I even bother scribing the tiles? Uh, so that, I think that's one thing that the the just the the dumb persistence of wanting to use the monogram kit as much as I can. Um, but also it's you know like I do you guys know Tony Bell, a fantastic Canadian model builder? Yeah. Um he we've been good friends for many years. It's it's part of the small group of model builders here in Toronto that uh we know each other for a while and he, he asked me actually HeritageCon um uh, a few weeks back, why don't I just 3 d print the back end instead um, sort of scratch building it? I, I, I said straight out to him, isn't it isn't it nice to just look at a beautifully handcrafted piece of styrene in pure white and just appreciate its beauty. I would say yes. I can see I can see Chris Mettings nodding his head right now. Yeah. I'm
1: nodding. I'm nodding mine, but you know, there's 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 certain things that oh man. I don't want to interrupt you. Keep going.
3: Oh no, i, I was just gonna say no. Like I, I think <laughs> I, I, no model building is obviously everybody does. I'm going totally philosophical here. I hope you guys don't mind. But I know, it, no, it's yeah. You know, like if you look at any other craft or artistry uh let's take woodworking for instance anybody will be able to look at a really really nicely handcrafted piece of uh japanese wood joints you ever seen those oh yeah, yeah. oh yeah I, you just you just you swoon over how beautiful and how you no know, technical and how well it's put together. I think I get the same thing working with styrene sometimes when I scratch bills. So on airplanes, I would take stretch, sprue, and fashion bills for breaking hydraulic wires rather than using uh, you know, leather wires, for instance, right. or photo etch. It just the working with plastic as a material. Um, that's something I come to appreciate just personally. And I think that totally applies in this case.
2: I, I do think that there is, and I know the, this uh, my, Mike is this way, part of it is the satisfaction of the doing, whereas you can cat it up and print it, but I don't think you get the same satisfaction from catting it up and printing it as you do taking several pieces of styrene plastic, measuring, carving, shaping, gluing, sanding, et cetera, to end up with the exact same looking if i if i sprayed them both in black primer you couldn't tell which was which but there's part of this hobby is the enjoyment of the doing not the finished product
3: yeah 100% yeah the
1: japanese uh, joinery is is a brilliant example
2: yes it uh, is it
1: really is because you know i i've seen the the videos out there with the guys with the the the, the saws and the chisels Knocking, knocking that stuff out and then pounding together these mallets and it's, it's perfect, right? Well, you've got that guy and then you've got the guy who programs those joints into a CNC mill and just cuts it, cuts it all into the ends of the wood and, 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 and fits it together. Yeah. I don't know where everybody else sits, but from where I sit, that's not the same thing.
2: No, I, I agree. It's not the same thing. And again, it's, it's. Especially with this hobby, it's not all about the end product. You know, it's great when you finish a project, and I'm sure John, when he finishes this shuttle sometime in the late 2020s, <laughs> is, <laughs> is going scary. to sit is going to sit back and really enjoy looking at it. But it's the journey that was actually the enjoyable part, not putting it in the display case. And admiring the handiwork as much.
3: Yeah, so like <laughs> it's. I, I also want to make it very clear that I'm not disparaging anyone who wants to take the 3D printing route.
4: Oh, or, no, oh no, no, right? absolutely,
3: <laughs> See, seeing no. Their uh, program, uh, their router, to, to do anything for them. But I, I think it's. Uh, this is definitely something that, uh, no, personally, I really really enjoy at a at a certain level. Right,
2: you, or you wouldn't be doing it. I mean, that's again. In theory we all sit down at our bench and build because we enjoy it it brings us
3: satisfaction for sure yeah 100% well
1: john we've talked about this shuttle we've talked about scribing um how about we talk a little bit about your your other modeling endeavors and and what you got going on i'm sure this shuttle is not taking up all your time it it, it could certainly take up a lot if you let it but uh, I got a feeling that uh, maybe you got some other stuff going on.
3: Uh, nothing. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I just finished a 48 scale CF18 Hornet. Uh, I don't know, six months ago, and I I I'd be kit? back on the show. Uh, that one was uh, the Hassidic. Not the
2: easiest kit in the world. The the C the F18 has some really unusual shapes that make it hard to build as a model.
3: Correct. Yeah. <laughs> and and across all scales, the uh, no, 70 second, 40 and 30 second scale. Yep. And they all kind of have the similar parts breakdown for obvious reasons. And they all have the same general problem areas as well.
2: Yeah. I, bu- <laughs> I built a CF-18A from the oh, Hasegawa kit many years ago. And yeah. I am still to this day that frankly was, Probably the toughest kit I've built, simply from the standpoint that, again, the shapes are so challenging.
3: Yeah. Oh, yeah. For sure. I- I'm still waiting for the day when the to me, it puts out a 48 scale Hornet. You know, either the Legacy or the Super. I-, I I don't see a reason why they would not. I mean, they put out Tomcat recently. They put out the F16 about you know, 10, 15 years ago. They probably won't put out a 48 scale. F- 15 because they already have one from eons ago but there's they don't have a hornet so <laughs> I don't know what's stopping them
2: we can always hope right
3: <laughs> yeah for sure Um but aside from that I don't really have anything I have a lot of things on my shelf of doom that I can pull off and put together easily enough you know Uh that that
2: raises one interesting question with this with a project of this size and scope and i'm referring to the shuttle here are there times where you just have to take a break say you know what i'm gonna set it to the side i'm gonna go model something else do something else because i need to take i need it's it's so big i need to walk away from it for a little bit
3: yes a hundred percent um a good example would be dave parker right he he built his giant magnificent tank model over what six seven years yeah he he had to take breaks in between um my hornet was actually a break away from doing body work and scribing It's, it's a canadian hornet so i thought i just Pull it off the shelf of doom, slap some paint on it, and have fun dirtying it up. And ten months later, I was still at it. <laughs> you, you could
2: you could have picked an easier
3: subject as a break, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I, I could, I, you know, I, I should probably just go whole hog and and, and pick myself up a a, a nice 70-second year bendai Millennium Falcon or a White Wing, something that's completely out of my wheelhouse. Now. There you that's go. Part. Nothing but painting, and I, I know the guys over at the you know, the posse are nodding their heads right
1: now. Yeah, <laughs> I'm yep. sure they are. Well, John, what uh, what are your your modeling interests outside of this shuttle? I mean, you, you built the the Hornet.
3: You know what? Interesting. asked. I, I I actually said to a couple of model building. I I don't remember what it feels like to build a normal model, normal way anymore. <laughs> I honestly do not. Um, I that, I grew that up... may be a,
1: that may be a warning sign, by the way. <laughs> and I'm speaking from experience.
3: <laughs> I need to get a life, right? Um, <laughs> I I grew up as a primarily semi-second scale aircraft model. Yay! <laughs> I, I you know what though? It's it's one of those. I uh, I I love jets. Yeah, it's not the aircraft era that I grew up with as a child and i watched top gun and all that <laughs> uh so I, I and and growing up as, as a child my family didn't have a lot of money so i had no whatever i could scrape together to buy model kits was was very limited which means smaller the scale the more bang for my buck there you go and 20 30 years ago 70 seconds scale was even more forlorn than than today i mean has a that right Put out a lot of really great model kids but um but that 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 was that was about it um so that the sort of allowed me to develop a passion for working with kids that are of that era uh monogram being one of them um i'm quickly digging myself a hole of being one of those guys that says yeah i you know like old kids make you a good model kind of thing i'm not trying to be like that. but i i just i yeah, it, nostalgia is just like really high for me. For seventy second scale jet aircraft of that era, uh, not like seventy second scale Haskell Viking with the raised panel lines. Yeah, uh, I I love that kid to death. Uh, <laughs> um, I, I know that I think who's coming out is it Trumpeter or someone who's coming out with a seventy second scale Viking, you know, year or two. Yeah. I don't think I'll enjoy that nearly as much. Um, the Haswell seventy second scale F fourteen Tomcat. Notoriously hmm. difficult to build. Um, notoriously. Have, yeah, yeah, notorious. I mean, even Fujimi is easier to build than the yeah. Haskell kit. But I I, I loved it. I, I built one a few years ago, uh, uh, Top Gun Bird, a Blue Splinter, and I, I enjoyed it as challenging as it was. I, I know I can get my hands on uh, an Academy or a GWH kit these days, but I'm not sure if I'll enjoy it as much. Um, so yeah, 72nd scale aircraft is... And will always be you no know, my DNA, I think. I know <laughs> they exactly
2: hear that. Yes, absolutely. I'm smart. <laughs> you, you were not doing video, but I'm smiling ear to ear. And and I've I built many of those same kits. Uh I Hasegawa in the 80s and 90s. I mean, that was that was the cutting edge. But let me recommend next time you need to take a break from the shuttle, go pick up a 70-second scale Tamiya Zero. You will, you will enjoy it. You won't spend 10 months building it and then you can get back to the shuttle. So it's done before 2030.
3: (laughs) I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to tell you a a funny anecdote, if I may. Sure. Uh, I, there's a gentleman by the name of John Wong. I'm not sure if you guys know as a very prolific model builder in the Toronto area. He also used to be my boss at work. So, (laughs) you know, Every day during lunchtime, while everyone else were were talking about the, what's the latest in the, in the news and whatnot and the gossip, we will we will be on hyperscale surfing and shelling at each other across the room. Uh, <laughs> it's a good way uh, to get a raise, yeah, <laughs> or
1: yeah, f- I, or fired.
3: <laughs> <laughs> we always outdo each other with the, what model kit we can give each other at Christmas time uh, to build. That's not you no know, put together easy, uh, but yeah, like. W- there was one there was once when he, he egged me on. He's like you were never gonna build a prop aircraft and you would never build anything out of the box because I have a tendency to not be all of the box.
1: I can re- I can relate to that. Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> now imagine well, that an engineer who can't build out of the box. Huh? Exactly, right? <laughs>
3: So I'm like, okay, so what would you do if I uh do a prop aircraft in of box and I'll build a 70 second scale F-16? He never built jets. Uh, <laughs> so about a month later, I walked into his office in the morning and I plunked down a out of box 70 second scale P forty seven Razorback back to get a and his jaw just dropped. <laughs> well, and you couldn't have picked a better kit. I mean <sighs> oh, I enjoyed it so much. It was Oh god, so yes. Fun. Yeah, yeah, and uh that goes as well to me kid that goes we believe that oh um
2: <laughs> and that is the only downfall of any to me a kit
3: yeah yeah that's or, or or just i don't know any any edward Kit these days or well or. yeah <laughs> I agree with you i'm not sure if i'll be able to zero i'm not i don't i, I can't i can't get worked up with uh you know just overall green well, doesn't balance. have to. There's overall
2: gray. There's some. There's That's some interesting. True. There's some interesting schemes. I'm telling you. That's yeah.
3: true. And again, yeah.
2: you won't spend ten months building an f eight CF18.
3: <laughs> Waiting for Tania to downsize their P38. That's what I really wanted.
2: Oh, the seventy-seven. Yeah, to to take the forty-eighth, and you and me both, from your lips yeah. to God's ear.
3: Yeah, um, hey, you want to go grab grab a beer once we're done with Mike here. Let's just go talk in a second. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> hey, he's got me hooked
1: too. I've got a minor stash of seventy-second scale aircraft in my oh, perfect, my... <laughs> perfect. <laughs> yeah. Good man.
2: We we started him with float planes because he likes all the all the stuff, and we're just going to slowly pull him into seventy-second scale. If who knows, <laughs> set am
3: oh, 70... in.
2: Yeah, we're 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 just going to pull you farther in.
3: Good man, that's the way to do it.
2: John, are you going to be able to make it to the IPMS USA
3: Nationals in Texas? Uh no, I don't think so uh we 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 the wife and I just became new parents and so not yeah, long ago, and we're still very slowly working our way out that you no know, the diameter of distance we can work away from our house on a day trip.
2: I got gotcha. you well, at least hey by twenty twenty four the nationals are in Madison, Wisconsin, so it's not gonna be a hard trip for you, and the child will be a year a whole year and a half older so by that point, you've you've got a toddler on your hands, and you can put them in a car and take them with you.
3: That is true. Yeah, one one of these days, I will have to go down to the nationals. It's I've never been to a U.S. national, and I just heard so many good things about it.
2: Imagine Heritage Con, double the, double or triple the size, lasting four days. <laughs> Sounds dangerous. <laughs> that's what that's what it is.
1: Well, if you don't make any of those, we're really gonna try to make Heritage Con again next year. So. Oh
2: gosh, yes. Um, there's no question. Hopefully, we'll I'm see you like, there, John.
3: Oh yeah, it'll be it'll be great to meet you guys again up here. We need to uh, we need to get some uh, one-on-one time to get up some bourbon in hand.
1: Yeah. Uh, oh, there absolute, you go. You mentioned that absolute. before too. We got we, you started exploring the bourbon uh, a little bit. So yeah. Uh, glad well, to I hear it. Seventy-second scale
2: life- bourbon. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah this, is, this is my this is my guy. I'm, I'm, I'm told. <laughs> but John, we, it was just a
1: pleasure to meet you at HeritageCon after you reached out to us after the uh, scribing episode. And uh, I'm going to keep following the the project on the on the shuttle. Maybe by Heritage Con next year, you have the wings on it.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah. That it's it's good to set
1: goals for sure. <laughs> it is. He, you know, I encourage you to mix some other stuff in there and not not drown yourself in this thing, because man, it'll kill you.
3: <laughs> yeah, thanks. Uh, and yeah, once again, I really appreciate this opportunity to chat with you guys at length. That means a lot. Uh, it's, uh, it's great conversations and uh, great company. And
2: make sure you have your alarm so you can watch uh, Starship lift off tomorrow.
3: Oh, I will. I will never miss that.
2: You and me both. Dave, that was really great. Uh that uh, that was that was fantastic. I was really I really, really enjoyed talking with him. I mean, you you really get a sense of his enthusiasm for the subject.
1: We got a VIP list of folks coming to the dojo. Should we make it to HeritageCon again next year? And uh uh we certainly extended that to him and uh, hopefully that'll happen. We can sit around and talk about scribing uh face to face.
2: Absolutely. So, Mike, we're getting toward the end of the episode. You got any modeling fluid left?
1: <laughs> I've got none left. Neither and, do uh, I. It's just turned into a trope, I guess. Uh, Russell's Reserve 10 year for the money. I like it better than my bullet, even for the money. It's a little bit more. It's about $8 more a bottle. Really, really good. Uh, everybody who recommended this to likes it. I like it.
2: And uh, I think it's my new staple. All right, well, uh, I'll tell you Forty Creek Canadian whiskey this was smooth, very drinkable, you know with in my experience, whiskey tends to be really hit or miss because you don't have that consistency of the of the corn mash that you get with bourbon, but man. I could see sitting around drinking this. It was awesome. Very good. Well, Ian, thanks for that. Yes. Thank you, Ian. So, Mike, uh, you got any shout outs? I do. Good. Um, I got a couple, too.
1: Well, Mike Radsky for sure.
2: That he, uh, he was on my list.
1: Special Agent 001 for the Jamaican Meat Patties, uh. You know, we get those after Indy and enjoy them for a few few weeks after that, and then they're gone. we got to wait till next show. Uh, but we really appreciate it. I just, you know, it's just a lot of fun to get the email from you, and then you go get them. And, you know, uh, glad you let us pay for them this year.
2: Thank you. Yes. <laughs> We're starting to feel bad about that. What do you got, Dave? Well, uh, mostly from Indy. I've got some shout-outs. Uh number one is Jeff Groves, the Inch High guy, who showed up at the show. And I'm telling you, I I'm I'm getting tired of only seeing inch at shows. You and I need to make a pilgrimage to the inch high, Casa de Inch High, as it were. And uh he's invited us up, extended an invitation. Uh He's even offered to let you peruse his entire library, which, uh, uh, could, could be good or bad depending. But he brought us two bottles of Russell Reserve 10 year because he knew before you knew that this was <laughs> your new mod go to modeling fluid. So in anticipate, he knows you better than you know yourself. So he bought. And brought to us two bottles of Russell's Ten Year, and you know you might be lucky if you get one.
1: <laughs> and the modeling fluid segment might be a little little dry for folks the next few months. <laughs>
2: there you go. Do you have another shout out?
1: I do not, Dave. Do you?
2: I do. I do have another one. Uh, uh, Tom Choi, another dojo regular and and listener regular. Uh, and we run into him. numerous shows, he brought us two uh, cans of a beer called Triptych, and I've got one for you, one for me, and that will be featured in a future modeling segment as a a, uh, modeling fluid, I can guarantee it, and I want to thank him, and I want to thank everybody who stopped by. Uh, Scott King did a really good job being you for the day, and... (laughs) And everybody who stopped by, it was just so nice. To, the, the day flew by, honestly. I didn't, I I got in and got to see the models, but I probably didn't get to see them as much as as I otherwise would have, because I was sitting around the table talking with listeners who stopped by to, to, to reach out, to tell us they like what we do, but also to interact and, and discuss modeling. And man, you know, there's nothing better than sitting around for a day. You know, I did have a little bit of beer under the table uh, and, and sitting there sipping on a beer and eating on, chewing on some chips and talking modeling with folks who stopped by. It was awesome. So you got to make it next year.
1: I'll do it, man. It's, the, it's the, the modeling life balance again.
2: I know. We'll work it out. You'll get there. Hopefully, in May, I'll do it better. You got it.
1: Well, Dave, we're at the end of this one, man.
2: Yep, we are, and it's been a good one and a long one, so uh, we better wrap this up. You know what they say, Mike. So many kits, Dave. So little time, Mike. Take it easy, man. You too. You too.